steal from the Empire? You just walk in like you belong. They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. Cassian Adler. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? I need all the heroes I can get. For the greater good. Call it what you will. Let's call it war. There's fermenting out there, son. Pockets of fermenting. You're in my net. Are you a fish? Or are you a thief? You're slipping. <laughs> I'm not slipping. I've just been hiding for too long. As long as everyone thinks I'm an irritation, there's a good chance they'll miss what I'm really doing. What are you really doing? This is what revolution looks like. I'm tired of losing. And welcome to a long-delayed, long-awaited episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, celebrating the space opera set in a galaxy far, far away. I'm Ryan Daly, and the subject du jour of this episode, the reason we are back after an 18-month hiatus, is to talk about the first season of Andor, the latest live-action Star Wars series to stream on Disney+. And there is a lot to talk about with this show, which is why I have recruited three co-conspirators to help me discuss it. They have all appeared on previous episodes of this podcast, as well as on Fire and Water Records and maybe some other shows on the network. First up, Omar Yudin. Welcome back, Omar. Good morning. Nice of you guys to drop by. (laughs) (laughs) Next, Chris Agunas. Hello, Chris. Um. Clever Star Wars quote. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Neil Daly. What's up, bro? (laughs) What's up, man? Uh, Yeah, I got got nothing after Omar's. That was too good. That was good. All righty. So Andor is a series set in the Star Wars universe that follows the titular character Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna, who first appeared in the 2016 film Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. The series is a prequel to that film taking place somewhere on the timeline a couple of years earlier during the time when the Empire seems to be all-powerful, expanding its reach, taking over new planetary systems and governments, exploiting natural resources, abusing workforces, and harshly clamping down on any dissent. 
Cassian Andor is a young thief from the planet Ferrix whose theft of some proprietary imperial technology puts him on the radar of the mysterious Luthan Rail, a dealer in exotic arts and antiquities who has secretly been financing a network of rebel cells with the help of outspoken Senator Mon Mothma, played by Genevieve O'Reilly. The actions of Cassian and Luthan arouse the attention of Dedra Miro, played by Denise Goff, the only officer in the Imperial Security Bureau who believes the anti-imperial thefts are part of a larger, coordinated effort against the Empire. That, my dear listeners, is about as close to the non-spoiler recap as you're going to get. Uh, From here on out, we will be talking in detail about the show and spoiling aspects of it. So if you have not watched Andor Season 1, go out and do it uh, and come back to this episode when you are done. Okay, as I like to do before diving into the review, uh, I want to know everybody's expectations for what we had going into the series. um, Because I think... There was a lot of reason to expect something really, really good from this show, but I don't know if a whole lot of us were that excited. Neil, what did you know about the show beforehand, and what was your attitude going in? Okay, this is probably as good a point as any to talk, to start. Um, I had mixed feelings going into it for a couple of fairly obvious reasons uh as ryan you and i have talked about before i loved rogue one from from the get-go right for right from jump that was that was one of my top three star wars films of all time immediately and so i was excited to see more of these characters and ryan you and i had discussed rogue one before and some of the things that you didn't like about it was you didn't know enough about these characters to care about them and things like that and that was a valid point um But that kind of then that got me, you know, when I knew that they were making this series, I was like, okay, well, this is going to get this is going to kind of fill in those blanks and give give us all reasons to care about these people that are going to inevitably go on a suicide mission kind of thing. So I was super excited about it because I also liked the 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 world that Rogue One kind of created. And I felt like this was going to go back to that. It was going to be fairly un Star Warsy. You know, it wasn't going to be lightsabers and fantasy duels and things like that. It was going to be a little grittier. Uh, and from the early buzz on the filming of it, I was getting senses that it was like a Magnificent Seven or Force 10 from Navarone or The Great Escape, you know, those kind of like World War II movies uh, that focused on like just some intos- impossible task. So that's those are the reasons I was excited about it. Then, unfortunately, I saw a bunch of other Disney Plus series. And that, you know, for lack of a better way of explaining it, uh, that ruined all my enthusiasm for it. Uh, I, I couldn't finish Book of Boba Fett, didn't even finish the series. I watched Obi-Wan just because I felt like I had to, but found it very unnecessary. And I thought the casting was bad. And I thought that they were kind of retconning certain certain storylines and plot points that you know, all of a sudden now, you know, as we've talked about on the show, Obi-Wan's best friends with Leia now, and he's running around with her and, you know, just all these things. I was like, is this what they're really doing with Star Wars? And then on top of that, it was this, this growing dependency on planets that we know, case in point, Tatooine, uh, characters that have somehow intertwined in the past, even though the galaxy is so freaking vast and you know the, all these little tiny things that i'm like they really are having trouble moving on with anything new and original and that tempered my expectations almost down to zero and what i mean is 
I didn't watch the show when it started. And I think Ryan, it was you and, and I don't remember who else you, I, Chris didn't start it right away, but uh, I, we were talking about it and you, Ryan, you were the one that actually probably around episode four was out when you said you need to watch this show. This is the star Wars show you've been waiting for. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I was probably five episodes behind when I started and yeah, those were, those were my expectations. I'll get into reactions later on as we go. Chris, can I assume that your reactions were, were fairly similar to what Neil was thinking? Yeah. So you know, I think Ryan, maybe even on a previous podcast, you and I had talked about Rogue One, and I think you and I have similar feelings about it. Like I like it, it's where it lacked was with the character development. It feels kind of overstuffed with potentially interesting characters, but you don't really know enough about them or their motives to really invest. And one of those characters is Cassie and Andor, who, you know, despite the fact that I think he's, you know, rather thinly sketched in the movie, maybe has one of the best character introductions in all of Star Wars, you know, uh, right up there with Han Solo's, I would say. Um, you know, if you guys don't remember, it's when he's meeting with, uh, yep. you know, some some uh, informants and the guy's injured and they get spotted by Imperials and he has to make an escape. This guy can't go with them because he's injured. And so he just kills him because yep. he can't let that guy fall in Imperial hands. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. But we don't really get to know this guy very much. So in that respect, yes, I was very intrigued by this show. But also, like Neil just said, um, I was definitely experiencing a little bit of fatigue after the uh, <clears throat> the one-two punch, below-the-belt punch, I might add, a Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, where it was just like they were just abysmally bad, I thought. I mean, Book of Boba Fett was just atrocious. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan had some elements, you know, at least you had a lead character that you can, you know, carry the show and, and you can invest in. But yeah, I, so when this show came around, I was never not going to watch it, but I just didn't jump in right away. I was just like, it was the first of the live action series where I'm like, I'm going to watch it, but I'm not, you know, I wasn't watching it the day it dropped. So yeah, my expectations were measured and then yeah i kept hearing good things about it people are like hey it's 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 like an adult star wars it's it's actually a little more serious minded and you know i'm like okay so this kind of it continues to intrigue me and yeah we can get into reactions i guess later but i yeah probably around the same place neil is going into it omar i'll come to you in a second uh because you were uh, are sort of the one who kind of inspired me and then i wrote those guys into it um but yeah i i was i was coming from the same place um the book of boba fett to me might be worse than the prequels at this point in my estimation if, <laughs> if you if you take out episode five which i think is really a mandalorian episode and i think it's great if you take that out of that series Book of Boba Fett is just terrible on almost all levels. It it, it hate characters that um, it's, it's 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 Rise of Skywalker levels of bad. That's how bad it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I well, yeah. I'll just save the ranking for another episode. But um, yeah, and and Obi Wan Kenobi. I, I, Omar. We talked a little bit about that, and that was just like it. Just it had a very low ceiling, so the good parts of it were okay. Again, like it, it felt really unnecessary, and I was just prequeled out. Also, just like not just like the sense of like spending time with characters that we know, but spending time with characters whose fates we already know, and like mm-hmm. like not only the fact that we know how Cassie dies, but I'm going to assume that like 
the most important thing Cassian ever does in his life story has already been documented. So what really can we get from the, from 24 episodes about his like formative years? I'm like, what is it? I, I just, I didn't care about the character and the, and the show and I was kind of Star Wars out, but when the series dropped and they dropped the first three episodes on the first day on Disney plus, I watched the first one and I fell asleep during it. Um, a part of it, I was, you know, drinking, um, but <laughs> so I, I think that helped. And then I was like, okay, the next day I'm like, all right, I didn't enjoy that episode. Obviously I did. It didn't capture my attention. I don't really remember how it ended, but I was, I was like, all right, let me, let me try the next, let me try and watch it again sober. So the next day I tried watching the first episode again and I fell asleep and I, again. And at that point I was just like, I'm taking this off my table. There's like five or six other shows that I need to watch. Cut to several weeks later, I think by that time, like the, like the first five episodes maybe had been out. Uh, and I go to dinner with Omar and Omar makes this impassioned plea for me to watch it. So Omar, <laughs> whoa, how, how did you approach the show that was different than the way we did? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to answer that in a way that's not egocentric and self-serving. Uh, but <laughs> well, something you, you've never been accused of. It's yeah, true, it's you. true. No, I think you're all nuts. Uh, I, <laughs> I knew from the beginning this was going to be great. Uh, and and uh, ironically, even though I, I can sort of sense where you're all coming from, I get where you're all coming from on the other Disney Plus shows. And to a degree, I share your feelings on their quality. I, I noticed none of you have talked about The Mandalorian, um, which, you know, my, is universally, you know, uh, understood as, you know, a pretty good Disney plus entry, but uh, totally understand that like your mileage may vary on Obi-Wan and that Boba Fett is not a very good effort, but I got to tell you, I was, uh, you know, undeterred in my expectations for Andor. Part of it was because the, the source material, uh, you know, the Rogue One to me, like, like you, Neil, it's one of my favorite Star Wars movies. I think it is one of the Star Wars movies that has grown, whose Mm -hmm. estimation has grown with time with yep. both the critics and the fans. Um, I think there's something sort of thrillingly alive about the setting. Um, I, I think it explores a very creative, fertile ground in terms of the chronology. I think those five years leading up to A New Hope are just, you know, there's chronologically, there's a lot going on, right? So yep. th- th- there's just a lot of opportunities for, you know, incredible storytelling that can both dip into um, sort of the a lot of the greatest hits and themes that we are accustomed to, but can also deviate from that. So we don't have to have Jedi's and Skywalkers. So I felt I always felt like if it mimicked at least the tone of Rogue One in the sense of like being separate and apart from the classic lore and the tropes, we would we would be in for a good time. And the other thing was I get I, I always understood Ryan's complaint and you know Chris's well articulated concern about the lack of characterization of the Rogue One folks, including Cassian. But the way I was able to overcome it and the way that made me look forward to this show was I was, I always looked at it as, hey, these are vessels that tell a larger story about like the galaxy during this incredibly pivotal time. So I didn't need to like tie myself up in knots about like Cassian's motivations and, you know, his, his, his sort of inner darkness and his, his metamorphosis Yes, characterization is important, but it's just as important to tell a tone poem about like the galaxy during this time. And I felt like 
Cassian Andor is just as good uh, a vessel as anyone else um, to tell a story about, you know, like the underlying themes of, you know, this incredibly oppressive empire, like turning the screws on at this, you know, maximum inflection point right before the dam starts to, to burst. Um, so I, I knew it would be good. And then when you get into the Tony Gilroy of it all, like, you know, uh, someone who I consider an incredible filmmaker, someone who had been on record, someone who had re- who had rescued Rogue One um, and who had been on record in the press leading up to this show about how he didn't he wasn't really attached to the Star Wars tropes and the lore. And he was just going to tell a story. To me, you had all these ingredients of a show that I was excited about. And then finally, Disney just has a lot of money to throw around at stuff. And if you want to get invested in an expanded universe and a galaxy far, far away with a ton of stories, you have to accept the fact that like some of them are not going to work, but I'm not going to allow the fact that Book of Boba Fett was bad and that Obi-Wan was disappointing color my impression of entirely different filmmakers taking an entirely different stab at an, an entirely different story. So I was, I knew it would be great. And unsurprisingly, it is. Well, you know, Omar, I don't want to call you a liar, but for you to sit here after the fact and tell us you knew it was going to be great the whole time, well, I don't know, man. I'm kind of I'm side-eyeing that claim a little bit, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. It is what it is. My word against yours. I mean, he, he was he was definitely on it earlier than the three of us because um, he he did make a very impassioned plea for me at a Buffalo Wild Wings uh, to 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 give this show a shot. So then, when I was flying back home, uh, I watched episodes two and three uh, in the, on the plane, and I was like, "All right, it's still a little bit slow. There's some they're, they're taking their time with this world building, but I'm getting into it." And by the time we got to the second arc, like episodes four through six it was like a switch once they got casting off that planet and like there was a there was a plot-based reason to change focus to introduce other characters like the imperials like mon mothma the stuff going on in coruscant that was when i felt like the show jumped to a new level um and then yeah after i'd seen maybe the first six or seven episodes that's when i reached out to to neil and chris and i was like i know you guys have been burned uh, but I'm, I'm basically going to copy the same script that Omar gave me. I was like, the, you, you specifically the things in Star Wars that you guys have said you have been waiting for. I think the show delivers. Um, and it's, it's, it was interesting for me because I, I think it's still, while I was enjoying it and while I was converted to it, it took me a while to find a kind of equilibrium with the show because it wasn't the Star Wars that I necessarily wanted. And I, I kind of want to ask the question later on whether how much this is a traditional Star Wars show at all. Um, because the Star Wars that I've always wanted, like my favorite parts of the Star Wars are the, the high adventure, the swashbuckling action, like the, the stuff that moves at the, speed of, at the speed of light. Like, I mean, for its many, many flaws with the rise of Skywalker in that last movie. I mean, just like the frenetic pacing and, and how whimsical it feels at, at, a, at a few points for me does a lot to make me forgive some of its other sins. This show is the antithesis of that. This show is not an adventure. It is a political allegory steeped in intrigue and Omar, we talked about the production a little bit, and I don't know why this is a Disney Plus show at all. It doesn't look 
like the other Star Wars shows. It doesn't look like any of the Marvel shows. It doesn't look like anything on that streaming service. There is a level of sophistication and maturity and patience to this story that I think I've only seen on like HBO shows like Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones, Rome, like some of some of those big time series. And I'm just like, it it feels like an outlier among this. And that's not a that's not a direct criticism of the other Disney Plus Star Wars stuff. It's just like it's like one of these things is not like the others. And it's it's just weird. And it took me a while to to get to that level. And once I did, I was like, okay. I'm I'm watching this. Sh- I'm I'm not letting the Star Wars come to me. I'm I'm meeting it more than halfway, and it's it's very interesting. Um, so okay, now we can get to the reactions. And I, I know I mean this this will be the part where you know I, I Neil, we've joked that we like the lively livelier debates. We like when we're coming at it from a different <laughs> perspective. But I, I'm pretty sure we're all talking about this because we all really thoroughly enjoyed it. What is your overall feeling about the first season? Well, first of all, before I get into that, I just want to add, if Omar is going to stick to his story that he knew it all along, where he failed you, Ryan, was by not telling you to stay sober during it. That's where <laughs> that's where the communication broke down. He should have warned you, don't drink. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, reactions. Um, well, yeah, I mean, as much as I, as much as I want to kind of play the Ebenezer Scrooge troll right now, I, I really can't because it's it's a phenomenal show. It's 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 everything that I wanted. What for what you said, Ryan? It's not necessarily Star Wars you wanted. This is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly what I wanted. You know, I've I've had many discussions with people that didn't like the Obi Wan series, but they were just happy to see Obi Wan and Vader fight again and that kind of thing. And that was and I'm like, that's I I I'll be fine if I never ever see a lightsaber duel again. <laughs> and this was. It, it, you know, you mentioned some interesting things that I do agree with. It was kind of a, it was kind of a slow burn and it doesn't feel like a Disney plus show. Um, it, you know, it's, I'm glad that I actually waited till halfway through the season to be able to watch it because I think binge watching it made it flow better. If I would have started at week one and then had to wait another week for week two, and then had to wait. I don't know if I would have gotten so wrapped up in it right away. It might have taken till the middle episodes, like you said. But I was able to bang out the first half of it at one time, and then I was, like, salivating for more. Um, yeah, I mean, it is simple as simple as that my reaction is it's just it was a, it's a fascinating show uh the character development which uh, we'll get into all these finer points as we go on so i'm not going to take too much of it right now but mm-hmm. it was well written dialogue some of the some of the best star wars dialogue and again you know that's not saying much considering george lucas wrote a couple of them but <laughs> but dialogue wise there were some phenomenal like like goosebump lines that were delivered on the show the character development was good we saw lives of imperials that we've never seen before and there were so many interesting things about it it was an interesting show to watch and then on top of that i thought it for a slow build kind of like a blade runner type of show um i was i was really impressed with how well the tension was built, even in things in episodes where it seemed like not much happened. I mm-hmm. still felt like the, the combination of set design production, actually using live sets again, as opposed to, you know, just shooting everything in the dome on the CGI wall. Um, I, I, I thought that there was so much grit and dirt to it and music 
the the music score, which I'll talk about later on too, because I'm a big fan of the music to it. Um, it. It was it was just it was a fascinating show, and it was exactly what I needed to see. Otherwise, I probably would never have come back to Star Wars again. This is one of the best streaming series I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it, unsurprisingly, I, I think the show like knocks it out of knocks it out of the park. Like, I, I would really circle back to Neil's point about like the practical effects and the constructed sets. You have them over these sweeping digital backdrops, and especially after you know what they did with Obi Wan, and I don't know the the terminology for what that is, the what they used in Obi Wan, the the cost saving mechanism they used, um, but to get back out with real live sets. Um, and, and, you know, some of the, and, you know, getting into the, the minutiae here, but it's like the kind of elaborate makeup and costuming they did, uh, in fav- you know, in, instead of the, the CGI, I mean, in doing the, all of this, they're constructing a galaxy that is not just more aesthetically pleasing than most of the star Wars of recent lore, but also believable. Um, and, and that, that, that feels like little things, but they all get, they all combine to, to, to make for a rich viewing experience. Um, I, I, I just think that the, the narrative now, and again, I could quibble with the structure in which um, Tony Gilroy uh, filmed these and released these. Cause it did, did seem like, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it did seem like for the majority of the season, you have basically like three episode acts. Um, and I do feel like there's an argument that could be made that uh, if you're releasing them one episode at a time, plenty of people would have been like, screw that. I'm not, you know, I, I, especially those first three episodes. I think it was a very deliberate uh, decision to release those first three episodes at once. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was smart. Th- yeah, because they were just ending at weird times. Uh, the, like the narrative breaks just felt like disjointed and kind of janky. But, you know, those are my only primary complaints. Um, I think the, they, they, they really open up a rich, like livable galaxy um, I, I, you know, Neil, you mentioned the, you referenced Blade Runner. I don't think it's going to be the only time you reference Blade Runner when talking about the series. And, and I have to tell you, for all of the the, the four plus decades that we've all spent um, talking about the Empire and the various manifestations of its evil, I think that this series is sort of the best example, best use case, best display of imperial savagery that led me to understood to understand why there was rebellion in the first place. I mean, mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. genuinely some difficult stuff to watch. I mean, we can get into it later, but like the mm-hmm. torture scene, like everything that happened in the prison, the sort of bloodless efficiency that the Imperial officers like went about their business. There was a real savagery and sadism that went into, um, you know, the, the, like their narratives that we were kind of spared a little bit. I mean, yeah, we got like the sweeping bad guy stuff in the movies, but like there was a pathological like twist to it in this series that I think only a streaming series can, can give texture to that really makes the, you know, an audience member kind of sit up and like, you know, make their eyes go, go wide. So I think in, in every Avenue they executed as well as I had hoped. Um, So, so, you know, I think the only quibbles I would have are, the sequencing a little bit and, and the way some of the episodes were structured, but like now knowing the way the story like panned out, I just cannot imagine a more rich experience than like watching this, like start to finish now that I have access to all of the episodes. Just a quick little note, you know, a little background is back when I saw a new hope for the first time when I was six years old, 
Um, I always knew that the show they were going to make about one of the guys that helped steal a Death Star plans was going to be great. <laughs> so I do feel like I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of the curve uh, Omar, on that one. So anyway, um, yeah, this uh, I love this show, and like Neil, uh, this is the Star Wars I've been waiting for. This this is it. I mean, and you know, I get people talking about everyone told me the same thing about the slow burn it's a slow burn it takes a couple episodes i did not have that experience i can see other people having it and understand why i was in love with the show within the first 20 minutes mainly because this show i think showed us three new planets in the first 20 minutes that weren't desert planets <laughs> and i'm like and by the time we got to the third one i'm like i love this show this is amazing all the droid designs all the alien Creature yeah. designs yeah. I was seeing were new. Yep. I was not seeing anything familiar, but it all still felt like Star Wars. And I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I want. And then once you get into the rich characterization and to Neil's point that I 100% back, some of the best writing. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are – I it's hard for me to even pick one of my favorite monologues. And just every every episode, there's like, wow, that was yep. incredible – I mean, even just in the, I think it was the first episode, I forget the character's name, but like the, the Weasley uh, uh, Corpo guy that ends Cyril. up getting fired. Cyril, Cyril thank you. Uh, yeah. Cyril. Cyril, I'm telling you, right? He's, he's got the most punchable face this side of King Joffrey. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I love yeah, his he, character, by the way. He's one of my his favorites. Character, his, his character is great. I love, like I love the Ross and Rachel thing he has going on. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. The fact that they didn't just get down and do it. In they we, they, they cut away me. right before the hot white Nazi I'm, sex. In the, yeah. I'm like, they were, they were, they were going to, they, they were going to bone. There's no doubt that they, they had <laughs> sex right there in that moment. But, um, you know, he's got the scene with, with his commanding officer explaining like how these, you know, two other corporal officers were found murdered. And then that guy who it, it's like the only, he barely shows up in the show after that. It's this great little monologue. About, you know, how we're going to sweep this under the rug and none of this really matters. And I'm like, wow. And that dude was just some random tertiary character that did not matter. And they gave him, like, something to do. And I love this show so much. I mean, we already talked about. Wait, by the way, if that guy, if if that commanding officer would have had his way, the show show would be over. Exactly. Yeah, no kidding. 100%. (laughs) Yeah, just to just pretend those two guys didn't die. Who cares? Right, right. That's a a good point. He's much like the guys that decided not to shoot the the, the shuttle. Yes. uh, At the beginning of A New Hope. It's like, this is all your fault. Yep. But, um, yeah, I love this show so much. I mean, from beginning to end, you know, out of the gate, all the way through to the very last shot that, like, the one Disney Plus show, which, you know, we hadn't really mentioned previously, uh, The Mandalorian, which I have issues with, but ultimately do like a lot. It makes me like that show less because yes. I think back about how thinly written that is. And most, most of it's by intent, and I get that. Like, they're not, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's meant to be more what, you know, Ryan is talking about with kind of that high adventure element. But, like, just its reliance on so much nostalgia and callbacks. And, mm-hmm. it's, and, and, this, show, and it, this show just shows you, I mean, even just put away the brilliant writing and the sophistication and the production value, just the fact that they just said, hey, we're going to tell an entirely new story in the Star Wars galaxy without relying on all the things that you already know about it that are familiar to you. And we're going to tell a good one. That, to me, gets me like through the roof goodwill for anything. And I, I will forgive most quibbles and flaws about whatever that ends up being. 
so yeah, ultimately I love it and I think it's fantastic. And it's the best Star Wars live action series and one of my favorite Star Wars things, period. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars Star Wars has always been a space fantasy in that you know it, it follows more fantasy type of tropes of the hero's quest and magic it's never really been a pure science fiction show even though it deals with you know a space setting and what looks to be futuristic technology but like pure science fiction if you like we broke it down to the star wars and star trek camps like that star like science fiction has always had the idea of using these exotic settings to tell some type of social commentary, to tell a metaphor or or an allegory about social events, whether it's racism or abortion or or you know something like along those lines, you know, civil rights or, or some other aspect of our culture. And I watched this show and I'm feeling like it's it's not the typical fantasy adventure. It is more of a science fiction show that we don't really see in the Star Wars genre. And it's because this is a Star Wars story that has something to say. This isn't a story about like heroes and Jedis and family sagas and, and the quests for redemption. This is a show about fascism. This is a show about Antifa. This is a show about the sort of protests and protest culture. This is a show about police brutality, uh, like violence. Like, I mean, when, when Cassian gets arrested in episode seven, he's on the beach when he's on, he's in space Cancun and he's just kind of like walking. And <laughs> the stormtrooper starts questioning him and he's like, why are you looking around? Why are you looking nervous? And he's like, what? I, I wasn't doing anything. And it's like, he has reason to be nervous, but not in this situation. And you see the police overreach and this guy question. And then once the, the droid, which which looks the same as the K2SO droid that we know from Rogue One. When that droid grabs him and starts choking him, I'm like, this feels like they're saying they're acknowledging George Floyd's murder deliberately. Like this is like I'm I'm getting shaky here watching this scene in Star Wars. Like this is messed up. And I'm like, I'm like, like I've, I'm not used to feeling like this when I watch a Star Wars show. And then yeah, like I, I think the masterpiece of in particular episodes nine and 10 when we've got the prison breakout and like everything leading up and like fucking Andy circus. I mean, oh, like God, yeah. this oh, yeah. masterful oh, actor who will go down in history, mostly remembered for what he's done with motion capture. Right. But when you actually see how good an actor he is, and these scenes like episode nine, the rising sense of dread and unease uh-huh. in him, and like as he's trying to keep these people calm, as he's trying to keep order and his little fiefdom, the thing that he can control, when he's realizing he has no control and and everything that the, the lies he's been telling himself, and that's why the entire episode Cassian has been going, "How many guards are there? How many guards are there?" And when he when it ends with him saying, "Never more than twelve, not just there's twelve on each floor, but never more than twelve. so he's done. The calculation, but in his head, it was always the safer bet to just go about your business. And then the following up, when they have the breakout, and he gives his speech over the over the intercom, and then to follow that up ten minutes later with Luthen's monologue to his uh, his ISB spy on inside yep. when they're on, and crescent, and that's when I was like. This guy is the good version of Darth Sidious. He's like the the master manipulator who has lied to everybody, who is willing to sacrifice, who basically said, 
I'm never going to be the hero. I'm not going to be Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. They're not going to sing legends about my story, but they're not going to get to their place unless I do the dirty work here. And I've got to be willing to send people to their deaths and I've got to be willing to get my hands dirty and I've got to be willing to, to burn my own soul in order for the heroes to rise up and do and get the glory and save the day later on. It was just this phenomenal moment. I, I was like, I was in love with him in that moment. Those two monologues were fantastic. And Chris and I both mentioned there were, there were a handful of them. Like it's, you know, it's easy to sift through. There's probably four or five really good, like jaw dropping monologues, but that one, not only is it extremely well-written and motivational, but it was, it was profound in the sense that there, it, like right there on the page, it establishes what we all know already, but it's that this guy is willing to sacrifice everything for a world he'll never see. And that is so profound for these people, because up to that point, Cassian wants to hide his head in the sand and disappear and run. That's who that character is at that point. Now, we know that that's not who he ends up as, but how does he get there? And it's people like Luthen. It just th- that monologue was like, okay, I, I mean, I, I saw it all coming. We know the series is about that. We know we're going to end up there with Rogue One, and it's the spark that lights the fire and all these things. But th- hearing him say it, verbalize it all in such a well-written monologue. Is yeah. like I, I mean I I I had goosebumps. I was like, oh my god, I got to rewind this and watch it again. And the genius of these writers and Gilroy in particular is that they can create those moments out of long, uh, you know, soliloquies, but mm-hmm. they can also create those moments out of very like short bursts of dialogue. And and so I I, I would co-sign everything you said about um, about those moments and and those soliloquies and those speeches. But I was equally affected by another exchange, you know, earlier on when Cassian leaves um, his planet for the first time and he's saying goodbye to, is it Marva? Um, Marva. And, yeah. yeah. Marva, he, yeah. And, and I, I can't, you know, I'm paraphrasing here and I'm going to butcher it, but it's just like, well, I'm always going to worry about you. And she's like, well, yeah, that's just love. Right. And that itself is like a very powerful moment and a, 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 a striking example um, of, you know, the, the screenwriter's uh, storytelling credo of like, show don't tell and well, so the fact that these guys can do both that they can do both with their with their writing i mean that now that, that leads me to, to believe that like we're in the hands of like masterful storytellers yeah yeah omar real quick i just i just want to add because you mentioned that 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 line at the beginning and first of all the show was very good at bookending things that we saw earlier like there was a lot of there was a lot you know characters that appeared in the first episode we never saw again until the last episode and i'm like things like that they were really good at doing that like it was almost like no stone was left unturned and there were no frivolous meaningless moments everything was important for a reason but going back to what omar said specifically I love that then in the very final episode, you have that powerful line where Marva's already gone, but his best friend tells him, she says that she will love you more than anything you could ever do wrong. Yes. And I thought, oh, <laughs> oh my God, what yeah. a line, what a line. 
<laughs> I, I was going to mention the same thing when when Omar brought that up. I'm like, hey, that yeah, that one got me. I'm like, man, yep. that is a good line. Yeah. Yeah, and credit Fiona Shaw for playing that character. That could have been a fairly thankless character, but I mean, the fact that she gets her own posthumous monologue, yes. where she needs to deliver yeah. her own funeral eulogy. Yep. And from now on, I, I challenge everybody: if you know you're going to die, record yourself saying "fight the government" and broadcast yes. it. Oh, and a, yeah, and a, with a 50 foot hologram. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that too because her character ends up being like, I mean, basically, you could argue she kind of starts the rebellion. I mean, oh, yeah. Or and I, I think, I think that's why Luthen, Luthen is smiling when he hears it. He's like, this yes. is what I've been planning for. It's like, she gets it. She, we were on the same page. She knew what I knew. And like, and he's right. seeing, he's like, everything I've been working for, it's working. Like, this is it. This is yeah. why. And right. he kind of knew. He's like, I wasn't all alone in this. And, and yeah, like, think- but also like to a smaller degree, like brilliance of the writing. And and one of the things that I did think, like uh, I'm going to credit like Mandalorian in terms of how quickly the Mandalorian became a kind of pop culture touchstone was like in the way it delivered like little like lines like this is the way or or I have spoken like those little quotable things. Like after like like when when Cassie was on president, I, I kept on finding myself wanting to say on program. Like I'm going to teach Reese now. Whenever he's misbehaving, <laughs> I'm just going to shout on program and get him to stand with his hands behind his head. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not not to not to belabor the point, but yeah, as far as the quality of the writing, I mean, one of one of the great miracles of it is you know we talk about these monologues and. Sometimes, you know, a lot of writers, when you watch movies, TV shows, they fall into that trap where you get a character speaking, you know, expositionary dialogue. This is everything I'm feeling and experiencing right now in this moment. And it, you know, in in the hands of lesser skilled writers, you know, it feels contrived. But I felt that every single monologue was was (laughs) earned and organic in this show. You know, when Luthen has that incredible monologue, I mean, that dude has some shit to get off his chest. He was like... He's like, you're going to question me. You're going to question what I've given up. Yep. And I mean, and and Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, come on, that dude yep. just crushed it in the show. Yes. Yeah. He is so yeah. good. He's got he's got that moment, and he's got that incredible moment with uh, Forrest Whitaker, where he's talking to Saw. Yeah. Uh, he's letting Saw know that hey, you can't join this thing now because I'm letting these guys die to yep. you know, protect the greater cause. And the whole back and forth is there. It's kind of a chess game. Yes, and it's it is. Written yeah. so beautifully. Where like you're like, is Saul gonna like you know distress us? Is he gonna do something? And then the master manipulator, you know, basically brings him back to where he wants him and mm-hmm. does it brilliantly. Yeah, it's you, I, you can't overstate how good writing. This needs to get all the Emmys. I mean, for, yeah. for yeah. writing, acting. I mean, it's so good. That, yeah. that scene with Luthen and Saw when Saw is like, you know, he's like, you're sacrificing. Is like that's thirty men, and he's like plus Krieger or something like that. He's like, yes. yeah, I know exactly the cost. And, and Forrest Whitaker is like. For what he's like for the greater good, and he's like call it whatever you want. He's like that doesn't yeah. make me feel any better. He's like and he knows he knows what it's weighing on his soul. Yeah, and, and I got to yeah. tell you guys, like all of this is true, and like you know the Luthen character is like one of the most richly developed um, that I've seen in a Disney Plus series. But what I will say is it's kind of a testament to like kind of you know the astonishing quality and the volume of what's thrown at us during the series that like we're probably over forty minutes into this and we haven't even talked about Mon Mothma. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It was awesome. Right. It was just it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Again. Yeah. yeah. And barely, by the way, did, did any of you guys after seeing the show go back and watch Rogue One? I saw part of it. Oh, last yeah. night. I saw like the last half of it last night. Yeah. Cause I, I, I watched it yesterday and, you know, kind of preparation for this and, yeah, because you know she same actress obviously is in it. I mean, I forgot yeah. how li- how little she's in it. Like she's, it's like you, you get the sense they cast her because she kind of looks like the original actress. Well, she was she was originally cast for Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith, but her scene was cut from that movie. That's right, and that's, that's right. why that's why they brought her back in Rogue One was because. Yeah. She'd play that. Yeah, yeah. I just forgot and, how little she had to do in that movie. And wow, I mean, she and, really got something special to do in the show. And she's great. And before, and, and, you know, and she got a ton of stuff special to do in the show. And like, it's definitely worth parsing through some of the most rewarding moments uh, that involved her. And I'm happy to do that. But what I will say, at least as a starting point with Mon Mothma, is to contrast, I, I think there you can all agree there's this tendency on the part of you know, on the part of Star Wars, and I'm sure a lot of franchises, but particularly Star Wars, where you take sort of ancillary characters. um, And I think Boba Fett is a perfect example of this. And like you attack, like, you know, we create attachments and mythologies to these things. And like they did this show about Boba Fett that we can all universally agree was, you know, like missed the mark pretty wildly in in a lot of instances. And yet, you know, you have a character like Mon Mothma and you see that, like, in the hands of the right writers, you know, of, of a character that just based on the original trilogy probably had as much to do as Boba Fett, you know, collectively made as about as much of an impact on Boba Fett creatively, maybe even a little less. And yet in the hands of the right storytellers, like, you bring to life this rich tapestry of actions, motivations, emotions, and characterizations to someone that makes me want to sort of, like, just stand up and 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 find out like okay I want I want to know more about this person I want this person to sort of lead the narrative lead the way um and and I I felt like they they nailed it perfect almost perfectly uh in in you know with with relatively short amount of screen time you know yeah. compared to some of these other guys like I I just found her like the character like transfixing I loved her I loved her story and the, just the the shorthand to show how isolated she is and how sort of powerless she is, is that she's not even on the same page as her family. Right. Right. Her and her oh, husband yeah. is not like politically savvy. Like, has no, he's just, he's just there for the ride and enjoying like the life of leisure. Her daughter, it looks like she's about to join the Hitler youth. She's like become like a conservative <laughs> group and everything. And it's all in like the old school traditions that disgust her. And, and like she can't even like trust them with her deepest secrets. Like when she asked, when she's talking to the banker and she's like, yeah, here comes my husband. He knows nothing and he can't be trusted. Like she just whispers that. I was like, fuck, right. dude. <laughs> Um, and then, and then I mean, by the end, when she when she turns on him, when she she buys herself time by throwing him under the bus, yes. saying that he's got a gambling addiction, exactly. So that her her driver, who's a spy, will report that to ISB. That was that amazing. was awesome. Yeah, and, and add and, and add to like the list of you know you guys were talking you know quite correctly about like those gut punching moments involving you know Andy Circus's character. You know, and one that came to mind for me with him was. Uh, you know, when he found out that they were just resetting the time for the other people in the prison. Uh, mm-hmm. There were so many of those moments with so many of those characters, but one of them they hit for Mon was when she was, we could see she was actively being forced to consider giving her daughter away for, you know, in exchange for the right to, you know, like continue to like launder her money. Like that was just one more of an example of like so many gut punching moments in this series where you see the kind of like, bargains and compromises these people have to make 
that, yep. you know, that, that, are, that are sort of like whitewashed, that are sort of whitewashed in like the original trilogy, where all we see are like the heroes and the light. But like this, this and Rogue One show the, the sort of sausage making that goes into it. And I just find that kind of storytelling very thrilling. Yeah, I agree. Picking up from Mon Mothma, one of the other jarring things, and again, the, the reason why I say episode four was so formative for me was because this is when we we go to Coruscant for the first time. And Coruscant is sort of symbolic of the prequels and this, not just a, the, the movies, but a visual style that I did not appreciate about Star Wars that I don't think has, has aged very well. But the Coruscant depicted here is so different and feels so real. And and I, I, remember I was watching, I was showing the, the episodes to, to Angie, my wife, and she was saying, it, fe- it doesn't feel as crowded as it should be. Like, he, she's like, I thought, like, the population was much bigger. You should have people, like, shoulder to shoulder. She's like, this looked like some of these scenes look more like an airport. And I was like, wait, there's a reason for that. And who are you seeing? And it's much more humans. You don't see the aliens. You don't see the diversity. Because at this point, they've all been pushed to the fringes. They've been kicked off planet. Or they've been kicked to the very, the, the lower depths of it, which we actually finally see right before Luthen's big monologue in episode 10, when his ISB spy, Lonnie, has to like go through the lower ranks. That's when we actually see more species diversity. Like right. in the lower levels that you can't even see the sun. Um, and when Cyril has to move back with his mom and that like just oh and like the scenes with him just eating cereal as she's badgering him I'm like this guy so I, I want to talk about a little bit of Coruscant as a place but I also want to talk about the characters of, of Dedra and Cyril um, and Cyril in particular because at first you, you're, you, Chris you talked about his punchable face and he's such a, a wormy little guy you're like I, I hate this character but the more I sat with him I'm like this guy is really fascinating. And by the end of it, I was like, he is so, so fanatically devoted to these principles that he right. can't let go of that you, he is, he is a freaking time bomb because he is so inflexible and he believes in good faith with the imperial doctrine that will not reward him. We've already seen it betray him once. That it's like, no, you, we demand loyalty, but you're only loyal as far as you're useful to us. So, like, if he becomes partnered romantically or, 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 or officially with Dedra in the second season, like, if the Empire breaks his heart again, if they betray him or, or farce his, his principles to break, I see him being, like, literally explosive. Like, he is going to, like, lash out and be, like, this weird, like, chaos agent that they, they just did not predict at some point in the future of the show. And I really want to see it. Well, Ryan, basically what I saw in Cyril was he was the QAnon follower, the, the fanatical Trumper, so to speak, you know, that, right. that blind devotion that you're taught and it's indoctrinated in you, it's ingrained in you that you can't turn it off or be open-minded or reasonable to anything else. Like, I'm like, that's, you know, you mentioned earlier talking about social commentary. I'm like, this character, this, this character represents a lot of what we're seeing on the news every day. Well, the, the, the most interesting, compelling thing about his character is like, you know, he's, he's definitely, he's the big wild card on the show, right? Yeah. Like you're yeah. watching it the entire series. I'm like, what are they going to, what is the plan for this guy? What are they going right. to do with him? Like he spends a good portion of it, you know, eating cereal, being badgered by his mother, like Ryan said. Right. And I'm like, what, you know, is he going to hook up with Dendra? Is he, I mean, I saw an avenue for this guy to maybe even somehow join the rebellion. Maybe like somehow. I still he, think that's a possibility. 
you know, like, I, I mean, I, I don't know that <laughs> by the time you get to the end of the show, that makes as much sense. But yeah, obviously, you know, to Neil's point and how that kind of ties into metaphors for like our current political state, uh, you know, that's all very apparent there. But yeah, that's the most compelling thing about him to me. And what's great is they still haven't really told us like the show ends, you know, because everyone's converging on Ferrix in that final episode, including him all trying to kill, you know, Cassie and Andor. And like a lot of them just kind of left empty handed. And I'm like, I mean, obviously, you know, he reconnected with Dedra, but I'm like, I still don't know what this guy's path is. Like, what what are they going to do with him? And what's interesting, too, is that at the beginning, like when you first meet this character and his position and his point of view, he's kind of right. It's like, all right, these two guys were murdered. I mean, they don't know what happened. It does. I mean, we should look into this. I mean, this should be investigated. <laughs> Obviously, he's a little misguided and heavy-handed in how he goes about that. But I mean, just a little, just a little. <laughs> but there's a, a certain righteousness to him at the beginning that yeah, you can yeah. kind of relate to. And then, I mean, you know, he quickly burns off you know any goodwill you get from that because he's such a, a weasley little you know worm of a dude. But like, it's kind of interesting that they, that's his starting point is kind of justifiable. Like. I get it. Like, yeah, that's that should be looked into. Yeah, like, I thought. I, th- I think. I think you're right, Chris. One of the things I found really interesting, and this is, it's part combination of great writing for the character and also great acting. But yeah, I, I loved the moments where you know he's got these lofty ideals when you first see him that he's he's on the self righteous path thing for the empire, and then all of a sudden when he's put in harm's way for the first time, he has to take that you know take the 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 soldiers down to f- investigate. Cassian and Axis, who they're tracking, then all of a sudden you see how like insecure and nervous he is, and he's not a fighter. You know, he's right. like he's not that guy at all. And I saw so there's just all these cool things. Is like you you know they they said there's such a such a unique contrast with this guy who's willing to give his life for what he thinks is the right thing to do for the Empire, yet he's such a coward. <laughs> Such a coward. But I think, I mean, at this point, I don't know this. Yeah. This kind of like what Ryan is saying about him being a chaos agent. I mean, this guy seems like he's on a path to being a suicide bomber at this point. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, he's really, you know, diving into the fanaticism because he's, he's, he's kind of burning his life down. Like, I mean, he, he yeah. didn't have a very satisfying job, but it's like, you know, he had a good job and there were possibilities well, for you. And he threw it all out the window to pursue this one obsession. And I think so much was revealing about him when he actually, when you find out that he's stalking Dedra, when he's waiting for her outside her office. Right. And she's like, yep. what the yep. hell is wrong with you? She's like, I could have you thrown in prison forever for this. But and he's just like, I, and he's like, he's like, I knew you were on the same page. He's like, I knew you were on my side. You rewarded me. She's like, I didn't give you a promotion. She's like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. He's a little intrigued, guys. He's a little it, well, intrigued. Admit it. Well, in, in <laughs> fairness, and I, I would never condone like that behavior, obviously, but I think Debra was kind of into it. Oh, sure. <laughs> she was, she was like, Hey, you're checking me. I mean, like, all right. Yeah. The sexual tension between those two is, and they're both such off-putting characters. It's weird to even be talking about sexual tension between them, but it's there. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. By the way, can I just, can I throw some, some really interesting out there about Dedra, the, the actress that plays her, um, she was cast in one of the Game of Thrones spinoffs that got canceled for HBO. Oh, really? Yeah, and she had a huge role, and that got canceled, and that allowed her to play this role. So she wouldn't have even been 
she wouldn't have been in the show. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I saw that is her. interesting. She just yeah. recently did an interview where she was just saying how everything happens for a reason. And, you know, she was, you know, that, that particular Game of Thrones show, she was excited about, obviously. She was super right. excited about doing it. But, you know, it was obviously the weaker link of the HBO, you know, options to do Game of Thrones. And now she ended up being on one of the greatest television shows of all time. So <laughs> well, that's... What, what, what's interesting about that, like you mentioned Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones also a brilliantly written show, at least in its earlier seasons and had this capacity to make you root for characters that you shouldn't be rooting for. Right. And I think this show does, it's, it speaks to the quality of the writing because there's the scenes earlier in the, you know, the, the the run when you first get introduced to her character and she's being outmaneuvered by the other, other, Blevin, I think his name is. Yeah. And I'm watching it with my fiance and she's like, Oh, that asshole. I can't believe she's doing (laughs) that. I'm like, I'm like, babe, they're all villains. These people all suck. <laughs> she's like, she's like, yeah, I know. But I'm like, I just want her to win. I'm like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah. this is the, this is the group that blows up the entire planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These people really suck, babe. <laughs> it, it's going to be pretty hard for me to predict an outcome for for Cyril. I would say that it would feel like a cheat, at least from my vantage point, for him to be turned completely. I do, I do kind of like the QAnon analogy, and I do feel like he there has to be some kind of uh, comeuppance and reckoning for him. There's still a superficial part of me that wants vengeance on some of these people. And just you know, to reiter- reiterate an earlier point, like I don't think there has been a, a Star Wars product or a Star Wars piece of content uh, that has. Uh, effectively demonstrated like the boot of the empire as, as this has, you know, you guys have uh, very nicely described it as, as, you know, a show about fascism. I, I, I think that's right. I would just say that like this demonstrate, I mean, to me, this is a galactical police state and you can see its manifestations on every turn. Like you can see it from like the nervous little ways that like Mon Mothma is looking around on Coruscant to make sure she's not being followed and, you know, and not being tracked to all the way down to how Cassian is like arrested, you know, on, uh, on that, that Cancun like place. And I think Cyril is like a perfect manifest Cyril and Dieter. They're the perfect manifestations of that type of like Imperial mindset. Like, you know, Chris jokingly described him as having a punchable face. There is something really, just really twisted. And I know much credit to the actor, really, really twisted about like his, his nonverbals and the way, you know, the, the end of the episode uh, where he is just given one of his paper pushing jobs, where he's just to kind of sit there and just kind of quietly mind his own business. And he's just supposed to be grateful for the fact that he wasn't in any greater trouble. Um, and you can see how twitchy he is about it and how eager he is to like get back into you know, into the fascism game. And to me, when I see a serial, again, perfectly written, perfectly executed, perfectly, you know, illustrative of the kind of imperial presence that they have in this show, I don't see someone that's going to be turned. I see like a no. rabid dog. I see a rabid dog that needs I, to be put down. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see him turning rebel. What I meant by him becoming like explosive is if is it like he, he's more the type who could become, who would come back to the office with a machine gun. Like, right. like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. A, what Chris said, like a suicide bomber. Yeah. Like yeah. I think he, he, he's he, could, have... he could be. He, he could be like the the analog to like a Saw Guerrero. He could be like the extremist. Like he's mm. 
you know, he, he, he disagrees with the empire because they don't go far enough type of thing. Well, he's already started that path, you know, well, he, yeah, exactly. He basically exactly. overruled in the very first episode, he overruled what his orders were. So that's, right, right. that started him down that path. Yeah. Chris, I, I agree. I think that he's, he's going to think the, well, kind of like the, like if, to use another current political term, kind of like the January 6th insurrectionists, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 those guys, the oath keepers and stuff, you know, during their trial, they were, they were saying like, Trump, either do this, call in, you know, call in the machine guns or we're going to do it because you're not doing enough. That mm-hmm. type of thing is what this guy kind of represents to me. I yeah. think so. Yeah. And, and, and just like, you know, and just like I said, there's just a marvelous twitchiness to him that is. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, the, the you can make a spinoff about him and his mom uh, and, and, <laughs> and, like I said, and, their, and their bowl of Fruit Loops. As a, oh, as my as God. A, and. The way and their, their apartment yeah. complex too. I just love the look yeah. of that whole like <laughs> this endless little like yeah, oh, just the, the hallways and the stairs. And, well, yeah. You know what? Now, now that you said that, I got that in my head as a sitcom, and now I'm reimagining those scenes with his mom with the curb your enthusiasm theme playing over it. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. Why go to the well of why use the book of Boba Fett as a Mandalorian spinoff or right. vice versa when you have this rich tapestry of storytelling right here? Yep. So Cyril I, I, and mom. <laughs> I think there's a a, a, a a significantly less than zero, or sorry, greater than zero chance that he kills his mother in, in an upcoming episode. <laughs> That's that. I'll actually take that a step further, Chris. I think his mother's already dead, and he sees her. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> there is no mother there. <laughs> um, I want to go back to what. <laughs> that's that's so dark, but I'm like, yeah. So it's kinda, like, so basically, kinda, so basically, psycho. You're saying yeah. he's got her in the attic, and these. Uh, I just a court. A court absolutely, absolutely. Spoiler uh, alert, if, dude. If, if, if there's one, yeah. thi- if there's one thing I've learned, spoiler enough- alert for Psycho. Yeah. If I- <laughs> <laughs> Wait. By the way, by the way, Omar predicted Norman Bates was the mom like years <laughs> before Psycho ever came out. All right. You know, the whole time. I knew, I knew the quality of the show, <laughs> and I'm sorry that you couldn't, didn't have the, the, the foresight to see it. <laughs> I want to I want to jump on what uh, Omar was saying about like seeing the 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 boot of the empire like on the on the ground or on the the throats of like the people and like the way we see the abuse of power the way we see that and I think there's like a couple like like brutal things I um one of you mentioned like when Bix is being tortured with like the mm-hmm. the oh. way that mad scientist describes the sounds of this this race is dying chance like this dirge as they are being slaughtered and and the ch- children as their children's screams and they they weaponized the screams of dying children to be an instrument of torture it's like holy shit that's bad um and then and he smiled about it yeah he's like this is fascinating <laughs> yeah he enjoyed it and just yeah. as a side note how about that awesome homage in the edit from a new hope when uh, you know it's like the scene from a new hope when, when Prince yeah when the door slammed shut yeah yeah and then, and then you pan down to somebody's footsteps walking away i was like yeah. oh that's, yeah that was, yeah that was i really saw cool. i i noticed that cut yeah yeah that was um, really cool. and then like when they're on uh aldani during like the prison heist when when the uh the imperial lieutenant who's in on the heist is is the double agent working with them when he has to talk to his commanding officer and the and they're like explaining the whole way that they have basically just taken over this planet from these native people and and how they're just like pushing them further and further off their land because they're going to build a new air base here and it's like uh what do the people think it's like who cares and like just like the the they're so dismissive of the, yeah. the people of the yeah. citizens and they they 
they think so little of men. That's this what Cassian kind of recognizes. Is like, is like they're not going to see you coming because they don't care enough. They don't exactly. see you as people, yeah. so they're not going to see you as a threat. Um, and then, and then, just like everything going on, like in the prison, and like when he's like, they they fried a hundred people just to kind of keep the secret a little bit longer because they're afraid, like once more gets out, that the people in these prisons are never getting out. That is which killing. Is a yeah. direct is a direct result of what Cassian had just done with the heist. When he gets caught, and he, when he's in prison for something else, he's never getting out because that he was a robber. And then the fact that in the prison they're building those pieces that will be used for the Death Star, and yeah. Cassian built pieces for the Death Star that will eventually kill him years yeah. later. Like just all of these things, just yeah. There's ah, there's just so much here. Very cool. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like we're we're so caught up in like where the narrative goes in the last part of the show, but you just touched on it there with Aldani. There was a whole three episode arc about that heist and the characters that were involved in that. Yeah, I mean, you know, cousin Richie from the Bear showing up, man. That guy was <laughs> awesome, <laughs> and like the, he was fantastic. It's just, it, it, it's, it's just a, it's it's almost an embarrassment of riches with this show with all the characters are so, you know, richly developed and and they're just secondary and tertiary characters that are just filling out this world and yeah it's it's really really great yeah. neil you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the music at some point and uh, before that i just wanted to get to um i want to talk about the the finale and and marva's funeral and the fact that they do this whole new orleans style like funeral with a band coming out and for as much as star wars is kind of synonymous with its music and with the john williams soundtrack i always love when they have um diegetic music or or in in world music like the like cantina band max rebo's band yeah. or, or things like that whenever we have examples of like yeah this is a music is a real cultural artistic thing and what would it look like on these planets mm-hmm. and i love that during this this funeral march this processional down the main street that they have brass and string instruments coming out for the this thing and it's just like i love the music and it it didn't they didn't take it over the top. They didn't bring in like a full orchestra to uh, to to supplement that. It was just the the horns on the ground, just them right. playing it. It was like a, a high school band or like just like a local group that would come together on like the weekends or something. Well, if you if you look close, I think some of the guys in the band were also in the the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I think it was the old ninety seven. <laughs> yeah, it's the old ninety seven. Yeah, I, th- I think they the were there. Song. On Ferrix, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, well, yeah, I, I know. Well, first of all, here's here's what I thought was really interesting. And I, it took me, I kind of retroactively came back to appreciate the music earlier in the episodes and stuff. One of the things that jumped out at me from the very beginning, and I didn't quite know where it was going with this, was that the opening music during the Andor sequence of the credits changed in every single episode. And I thought that was really interesting. There were different, it was a different song every time the Andor logo came up before each episode. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. That must mean something. You don't do that for no reason. So I kept then as, and I probably noticed that maybe around episode uh, close to the end, maybe like eight, nine, something like that. So then I started paying attention to it. And then it would be interesting because the, the thematic music that came up over the Andor logo would somehow, it either created a feeling or attention about what was in that particular episode. There was something to it that was like synced to that particular episode. And then in the finale was where it really came full circle to me. I noticed that that 
it was it was basically the marching band music was over the final logo and i thought that was really cool but then this the the weird creation of tension and music and organic music like you said ryan like in world music live there without musical score in the background uh overlapping it kind of brought it was there was just weird like nail biting like as they're marching I found myself sitting up in my seat and inching closer to the TV. And it was kind of this weird, you know, almost like I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, like, like the drummer in Mad Max Fury Road, like the drummer on the, on the cars as they're going or the out. Guitar it, player with the flaming yeah, guitar. Yeah. 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 There's just something about that. The music leading up to an inevitable conclusion that, you know, is happening. There's something about that, that just like kind of makes the blood rise mm-hmm. a little bit. And there was something about this particular episode that I thought was really, really cool. And there was, you know, a little bit of a march, like a marching band kind of march thing. What it also reminds me of is you think of like drummers on the sides of like of of soldiers. Sure. Like yeah. when like when like like in the Civil War when they had drummers playing alongside the, the lines as they were going up, and you see this line of mourners in the funeral procession coming up to the wall and the stormtroopers and the shock troops lining up on the other side. Mm-hmm. That sense of music building feels like two battle lines coming up, even though they haven't declared a battle at that point. Like it's just for a funeral, but we know where this is heading. So yeah, yeah I felt like the music was serving that way. Just like the same way you'd get like little drummers, but like running alongside the standard bearer of a, of a, a military unit. Yeah. Well said, yeah. you probably, you probably put that better than I did. Yeah. That, that's whole, exactly what it reminded me of. The whole aspect of, you know, that funeral and, and the music accompanying it. I mean, it, it really brought to bear two things in my mind. One about the music. I don't think, I think, you know, this easily outpaces and maybe it's a low bar. I don't know. This easily outpaces, you know, the soundtracks of the other Star Wars Disney Plus series. Um, I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not going to make the monumental statement that it outpaces the John Williams stuff in, in the films. Cause I think that's its own special category and deservedly so. But uh, yeah, I mean the stuff with, Obi-Wan and Boba Fett, especially the, the music, it just felt like, you know, an obligation. It just felt like we had to throw some stuff in there. This, I mean, you know, with the Mandalorian, it's like, all right, it, it had a point of view with the music and it certainly established it as a, you know, sort of a spaghetti Western motif. But this really felt like a, a character as much as the settings and the, yes. char- yeah. the people felt like characters. And, 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 and as it related to the, the funeral I think the whole elaborate construction and lead up in the funeral and the churning emotions and the way the music interspersed with it leading up to Marva's monologue. I got to tell you guys, there is no better encapsulation and, and representation of Andor's narrative ethos than that whole sequence. Because for me, the entire story of Andor, you know, ser- season one was this like slow burn, right? It's a slow burn where you, in the back of your mind, like you're like, where is this going? And yet I can't stop watching because I know intuitively the payoff is going to be so worth it. And like, that is a long funeral sequence. That is a long, you know, like, like uh, amount of like a furtive glances and, and, you know, cutting away from like person to person to person from setup mm-hmm. to setup to setup yep. leading up to like the slow March. And that to me, like a near perfect allegory for the series as a whole, uh, complete with like the perfect payoff that had me, you know, metaphorically uh, jumping out of my chair. Uh, 
I think it's it, it just like perfectly encapsulates it. And I, I think if you look at Cassian and his, his particular journey and what it's about, like essentially he's he's our main character, he's our protagonist, and like what is what is driving him? I guess this is like the question because that was what I was looking for from before Rogue One, like going into this, like what is going to be his drive? And at first, it was it was self serving. He was just stealing just to kind of get more money for them and kind of picking away at the empire because he hated that was what the lessons that he had learned from his parents, his adopted parents, uh, Marva and Clem. And, but it was just kind of like to kind of get off this planet and do kind of take care of himself and, and take care of his. And then, you know, like Luthen takes him to Aldani. He's like, he's like, you're, you're good at this. I'm giving you the chance to strike big. You could do one big thing. And if you die, hey, you die doing something meaningful. But if you get, if you win, you walk away, you know, with 30 something thousand credits or something like that. And, and this will be your big score. And he does it then. And when he's telling the group, he's like, I'm here because I'm being paid. He's like, you don't like this. You guys believe in this cause. I don't. I'm a mercenary. Can you live with that? Cool. Let's get the job done. <laughs> and then after that, you know, he he he, what, he tries to go home. He tries to take his mom. He's like, "Let's get out of here. I'm rich now. Let's go." And he goes to Space Cancun, but then he gets falsely arrested, thrown in jail. And then what is he fighting for? Well, now he's just fighting to survive. He's just fighting to get out of this jail mm-hmm. that he knows. It's, it's all about self interest. So really, his, his decision to go back to Ferrex for his funeral, knowing full well that it's going to be a trap, that ISB is crawling all over this place. Like that's really about rescuing his old girlfriend Bix and and paying tribute to his mom and, and wh- her mission, what she believed in, which was the cause of the rebellion. And, and by the end, when he when he meets Luthen, when he's like, "You can take me in or kill me," because the only he he's not fighting for himself anymore. It's time. Like he realized that his struggle, his fight is a fight of choice. It's no longer necessity. It's not just to get enough money to survive. It's not just to get enough money to escape. It's not just to keep your kid to, to save your life in this prison. It's a fight of choice. And it's what Marva's funeral speech was talking about when she actually says, we've been sleeping. It's time to wake up. It's again, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, wake up, woke culture, like all these things, just like the, 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 the comparisons that you can draw from us. And she's like, the, the empire is strongest when we're not paying attention, when we let it chip away little by little by little. And then they're here and they're not going away. Yeah, I now, love how she described it as a wound. That yeah, just yeah. Or, or yeah. Rust right, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, it's 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 thematically it's this thing that yeah plays through the show like at macro and micro levels with like individual character choices where every, you know like Kino Loy I think is a great exemplifies this in terms of there's, there's no neutral position here like if you passively accept this then you're yep. basically yep. on the side of the fascists because yep. you're allowing them to do this mm-hmm. you have to fight and I think that's the arc ultimately that Cassian has. Because, you know, if you kind of passively work within this system, but overall accept the system, then the system's just going to keep taking more and more from you. And it took yes. everything from him. Yeah. And if I could just circle back real quick, though, I wonder about the, we're talking about the music and obviously how that's used as, I think I agree, like as a character and, and the way it's used to build tension. And I thought there was a great you know, that, that funeral sequence at the end with the music and how it just, it, it just stretches out in the tension and like, you're just on the edge of your seat. I thought that was a, it nicely mirrored kind of that, that, that episode from earlier in the show where the, 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 the corporate uh, security guys are there looking for uh, Cassian 
and you know the ferrets people are doing that thing. <laughs> oh they, yeah, they, they, they used to signaling. People. They're, they're signaling. signaling. They're banging yeah. on everything. So there's that you know scene where they're like kind of roaming through the streets. The streets are empty, but you can still hear the banging in the background. Yeah. And yeah. how they use it, it's even beyond just musically. It's sonically. And of course, my fa- maybe my favorite like you know minor character in the whole show is the guy working the anvil up in the bell tower. Yeah, that dude was the shit, man. Like yeah. and, and and how that I mean, there's a certain somberness and tension that that creates like you hear that it's like a death knell yes and and i mean you just gotta love how into his job that guy was i mean that's gotta be that's gotta be like one of the best jobs to have on ferrix yeah he didn't even put the he didn't even put the hammers down to kill a stormtrooper no no that's that's a he didn't miss a beat he did not he he worked it into his rhythm it was beautiful yeah yeah hello hello did we lose our end I don't know. How can we lose Ryan? Sorry, sorry. I was uh, I accidentally hit the mute button. But, um, oh, oh, okay. No. All right. oh I, I, I thought maybe you fell asleep again. <laughs> leave this all in. Leave this all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been yeah. drinking a little bit. Ryan's so drunk, so he fell asleep again. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved the the anvil, the, the bell tower guy because it wasn't that he just like he didn't just walk up there and just kind of pick up a hammer and hit the bell or like ring it or whatever. Like he had this whole like physical posture, like he had to get yeah. in like a, oh, yeah. a calisthenic stance. There was a case. It was like this way. Um, uh, the other the other minor character that we haven't mentioned though. Why is that droid so sad? Like, oh, B two B two emo. His his name is literally it's, it's emo. A, it's right I know, name. I know, it was emo. Yeah. Let, let me ask you guys this. Speaking of B two, who just really you know, I mean, I love the fact that like his little charging station is basically like a little dog bed, and it's just like, oh man, this dude. I know. But like, of all the atrocities that were you know depicted and described that the empire the empire perpetrated throughout this show. Is there a greater atrocity than when B2 was kicked over in that final episode? <laughs> That's what it was not. I that, can was, that was when Brasso grabbed no. the brick and, and nailed the guy in the face. Yeah, yeah, because, man, that happened. I stood up. I shouted no, and I threw a chair through my window. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, I was I was outraged. Yeah, without getting into do- details, I need a new TV, by the way. So Right. I was kind of like, I kind of saw the Empire's point up until then, but then that was like, you know what? No. That's too far. That, yeah. That's a bridge too far. I'm sorry. Yeah. The saddest. Yeah. He's so sad. <laughs> it just it reminds me of a, like a line from an episode of Futurama when a, a robot is just like, why? Why was I programmed to feel pain? I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like the droids have always had more character, more personality. Right. No, that's the C-3PO. But this particular droid is like the scared little kid that misses his mom. And I was like, oh, my I know, God. Right? Why yeah. You know what? I was like, tired of the sassy droids. This is great. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, I love the these. loyalty. The loyalty is insane, though. I mean, it was just like, right? Yeah, he was. He this this droid more than anything else was like a puppy. That was like Cassian's, exactly Cassian's puppy. Whoever programs these droids in the Star Wars galaxy is obviously a sociopath. Because you know, you're making a joke about you know uh, Futurama, but we know from Return of the Jedi that the droids in the gal in the Star Wars galaxy are programmed to feel pain. They can be tortured. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's like, true. Why would you do this? Why? That's true. Well, you guys joked before about Cyril being a ticking time bomb. Don't don't sleep on emo. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna have his moment. Maybe yeah, he gets. Yeah. To, maybe he gets to kill Cyril. That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the suicide bomber. <laughs> exactly. He is. He is a. He is a perfect delivery mechanism for something like that. But, um. Okay. I. Uh, I did before before we leave. I, I did want to actually kind of get into any any possible negatives or, or actual criticisms we do have because I 
I still come back to the pacing and and the way the the show is structured a little bit. And when I started getting into the show, and I, I mentioned that it took me almost through the first arc, it was like once we got to like episodes four and five, that was when I really kind of found the right level, and then it, it kind of built from there. As I pitched it to Neil and Chris, and as I started recommending it to other people on the network and just like other friends. I keep coming back to this idea where like the way I'm describing it to everybody is you got to give it a couple of episodes. You got to give it like the first, you know, four episodes or so to, to give it a chance because it's so slow. And I feel like if that's a warning, I keep giving that might be a flaw. That might be a legitimate problem with the show. I would say that like, I, I would give a qualified agreement to that Ryan in, in, in one sense, because I, I you know, I, I don't have a ton of patience um, with, with people who, you know, who are upset that they might need a little while to get into things. I mean, some of the greatest television, te- television series involve that sort of grace period of like, all right, I'll give this a little while. You know, I, I don't know why, it be, why it has to be a, you know, a, uh, a prerequisite that the thing hooks you from, you know, from the get go. Um, I do think some of the most rewarding and enriching television series, uh, sometimes it just takes time. Have you? Well, I mean, say, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. Like, has there been a good show that you've really enjoyed that didn't have a good first episode? Yeah, I think Parks and Recreation. I think the the American okay. Office. I think True Detective. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like absolutely. I, I, but but what I would say is that the qualified way I would agree with you goes to my issue with what one of my two issues with it, which is that like, look, the you know Gilroy and and Diego Luna to a lesser extent preemptively decided because Disney plus gave them five seasons, tw- five, 12 episode seasons to see this project through. And, you know, going into it, I was just like, look, based on the beats that I anticipate based on the cr- cr- chronology that this, that this works, you have a lot of ground to cover. Five, 12 episode seasons sounds, you know, pretty great, but somewhere, you know, at the initial stages of the filming of this season, Gilroy was exhausted and he went to Luna and was basically like, look, we're going to kill ourselves if we continue at this pace. I think we got to do two seasons and out. And I think Luna, you know, readily agreed to that. And so my complaint is that like, if that ends up happening, you've got a lot of chronology and events in a very pivotal, fertile, creative ground, the five years leading up to Rogue, the events of Rogue One, um, to cover. And if you're doing away with like three seasons and 36 episodes worth of stuff, I'm going to be pretty pissed next year if we are hopscotching and hand waving away a lot of really important uh, potential plot points where i had to spend you know the first couple episodes of this season just kind of sitting with things um and waiting for things to happen now like in the context of this season i think it was worth it because there were a lot of you know emotionally and character you know enriching emotionally enriching moments and enriching from a characterization perspective moments uh, that made the journey worthwhile. But if you were going to short circuit the ride, uh, again, this is not just five random years. This is the five years leading up to the events of Rogue One and the events of A New Hope. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, this was, you know, this is a series that I expected to be a catalyst and a stand in for the, you know, like the the events of the rebellion, the seeds of the rebellion. And, you know, man, if you're going to take your time at the beginning of this season, um, you know, having us watch the do the equivalent of watching paint dry. It's fine if the payoff is the end of this uh, this season and the spectacular uh, things that we saw. 
But if all we get is 12 episodes to cover, you know, cover the rest of the formation of the rebellion, hot damn, that that might ask too much of me, especially when rumor has it that like they're going to continue with the sort of three episode arcs, story arcs, but each of them is going to cover like the equivalent of six months or a year. That's like way too much, man. Um, and so that would be a pretty serious uh, issue I would have with it. And, and so like I would if, if they can somehow stick that landing, Ryan, um, and, and make those episodes count and make them like, you know, sort of mini movies where you're covering a pivotal narrative moment and you do it justice, you know, fine. Then I'll look back on this and say that, like, all right, I forgive the pacing. But I just have a lot of trepidation for the, um, the sheer volume of story that they're trying to cover um, in such a short amount of time. And if that's the case, what were you doing those first three or four episodes? Um, and and that, that is one of the only things that troubles me. And real quick, we can get back to it. But like the only other thing that troubled me uh, that I would count as a negative, and this goes back to Ryan, and it made me think of Ryan when I was like thinking about it, was like, yeah, still not, I still don't necessarily think Cassian is like the most interesting character uh, and I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know that they like fulfilled any kind of promise on making him uh, captivating, but like, and Ryan, that might be, you know, a, a, a deal breaker for you. It's certainly not for me because the deal I made with myself, even going back to Rogue One was, oh, I don't need to care about the characters. I don't need to care about like some personal narrative journey. Like they are stand-ins for a, a rebellion. They're stand-ins for like a, a thematic feeling, a tone poem as for how citizens of the galaxy rose up and like banded together. I don't need to know Cassian's every motivation. Is it a failure from a marketing standpoint calling it Andor? Because I think there are a lot of like, frankly, very dumb people that are going to be like, well, I thought this was about Cassian. I don't know anything about him. Yeah, fine, fine. I, I, I willingly stipulate that that's a problem. But like the rest of the show is so rich that I don't need Cassian to be all that interesting, which is great because he's not. For me, that's a, that's a personal pet peeve that I don't like the way that the Star Wars has sort of adopted the Marvel and DC thing of naming their properties after the characters. I always liked when Star Wars, the titles were like, sounded like more pulp novels or pulp like stories or something like that. So I don't like calling things like after Obi-Wan and Boba Fett, but also the fact that Andor is such a new character. He's not somebody who has the iconic status of a Han Solo or something like that. And just the name itself sounds like a conjunction um, I just uh, so yeah. I, I as a personal thing, I I don't think Andor is necessarily the best name for the series. I've I've liked his character a little bit more. I don't know if it's Diego Luna's portrayal or or there's something just. I don't think he's great, but ever everything else about the show is so good that I'm I'm willing to suspend the fact that he's okay. If I was going to approach what or discuss what like Omar just mentioned and what you have brought up and everything, I think. I can see what, what you guys talked about with the pacing and, and certain episodes that might have lagged or not had much happening. Um, those I wouldn't really consider a negative because now I'm looking back. First of all, if anybody out there listening to this hasn't seen the show yet, they get the luxury of binge watching 12 shows in a row. So that's that then pacing will pick up as you're watching it consecutively. Um, now looking back at the show, yeah, there were some moments like probably, you know, midway through the season at the beginning of the prison sequence, there were probably a couple episodes where I was like, okay, well, where's this going? Like that we just had this huge heist sequence and that was so exciting. And now we're back to kind of like no man's land. But now looking back, I see the overall show and I'm like, okay, it was set up, set up, set up. 
you know, huge set piece, set up, set up, set up, huge set piece, set up, set. That was, that was kind of the formula for the show. And now I look back at it and I don't mind it at all now, knowing what the payoff was like Omar said, you know, now I've I've got, so, so I didn't, I didn't really, I wouldn't consider that a negative at all. I mean, there were certain, there's a lot of great shows. There were, there were seasons of Sopranos where an entire season would go by where nothing ever happened. Not a single thing happened in an entire season, but it was still a good show. So that kind of stuff, you know, this was not at all in that category. Um, As for what you guys are saying about the name of the show, I mean, I again that that certainly doesn't bother me but I do understand that this show was more about the rebellion as a group rather than as a collective rather than the name and or however um I I actually met Diego Luna in person in Chicago in 2013 or 2014 at a screening he had directed uh I think it was a Spanish language movie about Castro um maybe well not Castro who am I thinking of no, no, uh, Chavez, Chavez. Sorry, Chavez. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of. So he he did that, and I was I was flown here to Chicago to do uh, test screenings of his movie, and he came out. And um, first of all, by the way, Chris, you'd love this. He had long hair and a goatee. He looked like a Spanish Johnny Depp. He looked he was a good looking dude. Um, that that isn't as meaningful to me as it was maybe fifteen years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but so this is this is like two, 2013 or something. And he was a very humble guy, very nice and everything. And I remember we talked about this, and I said, you know what, you should do is get involved with Star Wars somehow. You should find a way to do wow. this, okay. possibly, okay, <laughs> and make a show not about you though. Don't make it be about you. Make mm. it about the big picture. And he was like, you know what. That's a good idea. I think I'm going to do that. Um, and so, the, you know, I think it's unfortunate that the show was named after him because that was never his plan. But, I just uh, said I thought it would be good. I just said I thought the show would be good. That's all. I'm not Nostradamus. But finally, Joe, all, all, kidding, all kidding aside, uh, Ryan, I honestly, I don't, I don't think I have any negatives. I, re- I really don't. I mean, I think it was almost, it was as good a show as anything I've seen in a long time. It certainly wasn't a perfect show, but nothing really is. Um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, maybe, you know, a breaking bad or something like that was like a perfect show kind of thing. But this was, I, I was, I was, I, I loved everything about it. I loved the character development. I loved where they were going with this. I loved the fact that Cassian actually didn't participate in the battle at the end. Um, that was still, he still had to make that move to hearing what was happening, seeing it take place and then go into Luthen, uh and then say, okay, I'm in. Um, that kind of thing, uh, the the slow development and turning of his character, I find fascinating. And, you know, to the last thing I'll say, going back to what we originally started talking about, which is, you know, the Star Wars you want versus, you know, we talked about that kind of thing. Um, as it, this is really quickly, this is a short story, but like as a child, when, I, when Star Wars came out and I played with my friends in the neighborhood, uh, and we would play Star Wars, there were two camps, two distinct camps of people, of kids that wanted to play Star Wars. There were the Han Solo people and there were the mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker people. And, those people, the majority of the kids that I played with all wanted to be Luke Skywalker. He was what they, what children like me envisioned as the hero, the, the good guy, the blonde, the, the kid in white with the lightsaber and these things. That was, there was that camp. 
And then I fell into the camp of the Han Solo fans. And as a child, I couldn't tell you why. It was certainly not a choice. It was just that was who I gravitated to. But he was the grittier, the scoundrel, the smartass, that kind of thing. And that was, for you know, for lack of a better way of explaining it, that was the Star Wars that I liked. It was it was Han Solo's Star Wars, not Luke Skywalker's Star Wars. So then you know, Star Wars definitely became all about Skywalkers and all about Jedi and the prequels and all this. It became that. And that really wasn't what attracted me to Star Wars in the first place. So I felt myself kind of gradually pulling away from it over years and years and years. Whereas Ryan, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you loving the fantasy aspect and the swashbuckling and the event. Though that's that's completely fine. I think Well that's that's your fault because when we were growing up and I was younger you made me be Luke Skywalker because you wanted to be on Solo. That's that's correct. That is so absolutely you, correct. You forced this feeling on me. The reason we're at odds on this subject right. is because of you. You well, put me I in think, one camp. No, that's Take it fine. To a but therapist, I think, guys. I think what? enough time. I think enough time has passed where Ryan, I can now tell you, you're wrong. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. Your your choice is wrong, even if I forced you into it. So, uh, but anyway, so that's that's why I'm going with this. Is you know the this is now go- the. The Mandalorian, to a certain extent, kind of got me interested, although I think that the show has kind of tapered off a little bit in my interest. I'm not there interested in Mandalorian 3 as I was in Mandalorian Season 1, but this show is absolutely everything that I liked. And so I really, you know, to answer the question, I don't really have, I, I don't, I can't think of a negative that I would take from it. I'm fascinated by all the people and I want to see more. Omar may be right, though, in the sense that boy, oh boy, they're going to have to cram a lot in to, uh, to do a season two if that's how they're going to end it. So I, I'm less concerned about that. And I think maybe because if a lot of it is just the the minutia of building the rebel army and the rebel fleet, I think a lot of that will be kind of repetitive and you can do one example of that, like them getting some ships and like how, how that's kind of created and just like uh, interpret that they're doing this on a much larger scale. Part of that is maybe having seen the, the animated series rebels and kind of seen stories set during this exact same time period. That's kind of filling in some of those gaps. So maybe that's my own pre-knowledge that makes me feel like, "Eh, okay, I kind of know what they're doing. We'll see. I'm, I'm less concerned about their, their ability to handle that going forward, just based on, based on the success of this first season. Yeah, and you're probably right that they don't need to necessarily you know handle it specifically because I think there was a line spoken in the finale that like these types of things are happening all over the place and you know so right. like this seeing this uprising you know maybe we don't need to see it happening in every you know all over the place we just have to assume that it is and now there's for the first time going to be an orchestrated coordination of that. So yeah and that's that's So yeah before I get into why you guys are all wrong uh, let me just, uh, first of all, say, Neil, you should have had him be Chewbacca. That seems like an obvious one <laughs> to me. I'm not sure why you'd make him be Luke. And also, just as a little, you know, little background, when I was a kid, and yeah, and I used to play with my friends, and we pretend to be characters from Star Wars, I always pretended to be Cassian Andor. And I would explain to my friends, someday there's going to be this great show. Okay. About okay. the guy. Okay. So anyway. I feel like so listen, the mockery is disproportionate to my initial claim, which was just that the show would be good. That's kind of how mockery works, Omar. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, uh, I, I think you guys, I, I don't agree with your read about what this show is about. I do not think the show is about 
the formation of a rebellion and therefore do not think that the subsequent season needs to cover a lot of bases to get us to a certain point. As Ryan brought up, which I was going to uh, anyway, is that we got a lot of that in the animated series Rebels, which takes us up to about two years before the events of A New Hope. This, this, this show starts five years before. Obviously, we already have Rogue One, which leads us right into that. And I, are, I would argue that despite the fact that this show has a lot of different storylines, a lot of different characters, I think they all tie back to him. It is his show. I mean, and I think maybe what we're seeing in this first season is how he's kind of, you know, you used the term agent of chaos earlier in describing Cyril, Ryan. I'm not going to use that necessarily to describe Andor, but... There's definitely this idea that he's making decisions and doing things that are impacting other people. And, you know, again, he, he you know, the whole thing on Aldani leads to this, you know, uh, crackdown on all sorts of, of crimes. And, and, and it's like this, it has this ripple effect. And I think maybe one of the arcs he takes in this first season is to come to realize the impact that he has. Because all these other stories I think we're being told and all these storylines are going to tie back to him. So I think what we're ultimately going to see isn't the formation of the rebellion. Because, you know, Neil, you kind of mentioned this. A lot of this stuff's happening off screen. Yeah. Like they they talk about that guy Krieger. Krieger kind of becomes an important character who we never even meet and only briefly see. But he's like this important figure in this fledgling rebellion. And we hear about all these thefts that are happening all over the galaxy. And, you know, it's already underway. And I think. All this show is going to tell, the story is going to tell is, is what brings Andor into it. And, it, it. and I don't think it needs to end or get to the point where we're seeing it come to the point that we know it is in A New Hope. We've seen that. It's just, it's going to get him to the point where we meet him in Rogue One. And if I can go back to that, because, you know, you guys, I feel like you're kind of dogging on my boy Diego a little bit. I, I think he's fantastic in the show. And I'm very compelled by it. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to make it clear, like, I'm very willing to blame the writing more than his performance. Well, I think his performance is fantastic. I think he's a compelling character. And one of the things I found that really kind of solidified this for me is going back and watching Rogue One afterwards. Rogue One is six years ago, right? 2016, I think that came out. Yeah. And, it, it, I mean, it's such a subtle, nuanced thing he does in the performance in this show that, like, he actually fooled me into believing that the character he played six years ago is the older, more mature version of the one we're seeing in the show. And wow. it, like, like I was watching this going, wow. I mean, that's, you know, that's not an accident. That guy's a talented actor. And that's not something that really any actor ever pulls off. Like whenever you see an actor, like in a flashback or like playing an earlier, younger version of themselves, it just looks like them, like in a bad wig and like clothes from the eighties or something. And it's just like, oh, that's just the same person. But like he somehow there was something about him in Rogue One where he came across as he's more mature, he's a little bit more sure of himself, and you know, and, and and those are just subtle, nuanced little things he's doing as an actor throughout this show. And I do think that we're going to see him in the second season kind of become more of an active participant in the things that are happening to him and his character, because you know that's. You, you, you can criticize that as well. That's what it should be the entire time. But it's also that's kind of the per, that's the point of how he ends up in this is he's just kind of surviving and getting by 
and he realizes he can't escape from this thing closing in on him that's the empire and, and all the ways that it's infringing on his life and the lives and impacting the lives of those around him. And it's basically at the end, it's like his last line in the show where he's like, you know, basically saying, I'm in, like, you know, bring me in. This is, I'm, I'm committing to this now. I'm not a mercenary. You don't yep. need to pay me. I'm not trying to survive or just get by. I'm in this fight. And all these other characters and storylines were developing that were, and, and were, 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 were giving that buoyancy. And I think we're going to see those all tie together more closely with his character in this second season. So in terms of flaws and problems, you know, and we bring up the pacing. I mean, honestly, I just, you know, whenever somebody says to me, oh, it's a slow burn. Oh, it takes a while to get into it. I, I immediately, you know, if, if it's a well done show, you know, I, I, I can think of all sorts of great movies that are just people sitting in rooms talking, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, the social network. I mean, these are all compelling movies to watch and it's just people talking to each other because they're well written and i don't consider that a slow burn i don't consider a show that is well done just because things aren't blowing up and nobody's chasing each other to be slow the pacing was never an issue for me i was immediately drawn into this story his story what was happening this world they were building i mean that first episode when he goes back to ferrix and he's moving i mean they they just create this world so seamlessly. He has all these interactions with all these people in his lives, and they all have this little moment. I mean, one of my favorite little kind of one-off scenes is the guy who shows up at the, in the finale who is going to rat him out because he owes him money. Yep, and yep. he comes up to him yep. and he tries to shake him down. And the way he gets out of that, the way he manipulates that situation and cleverly kind of just disarms it and just gets away. It's like that was such a beautiful character moment and, and told you so much about how he operates in this world. And, you know, he has his interaction with Brasso and his interaction with Marva and Bix and Tim and all these characters. I mean, there was no slow burn for me there at all. This was like compelling sitting forward on my chair watching this because it's done so beautifully. So, you know, if there are nitpicks I would have, it would be tough for me to come up with them only because this show out of the gate engendered so much goodwill for me. (laughs) That like mm-hmm. I just look like I overlook anything that might be a little like well you know what happened there or whatever just I mean because we can you know nothing's ever perfect right I mean one of you know as as you know fans of certain you know genres and 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 franchises one of our favorite things to do is to go back and make fun of all the little flaws in the movies we love because you can find them right yeah. <laughs> but 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 in this show I'm not looking for them because. This show just got me right out of the gate, sold me hard, and the goodwill was just through the roof. And I'm like, I mean, you you can do anything you want at this point. You know, it's kind of like Spielberg talking about like the end of Jaws, where he's like, you can do any, I can do anything I want at the end of this movie, as long as I got the audience yep. with me to this point. Yep. And that dude threw a giant rubber shark on the deck of a ship, and we all loved it. So yep. you know, it's it's the same thing with this. So. No notes. Uh, loved it. <laughs> loved it. Do more of the same next season. <laughs> Can I just throw wait really quick? I just want one line or one quick point. Um, it's interesting. Like in a weird way, the show was done so well, and I can't wait for season two. But if God forbid something happened and they didn't get to do a season two of the show, it still leads into Rogue One really well. 
Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. They can they can end. I mean, you get some of the secondary characters like you don't. I mean, you assume that Cyril and and Dedra go off and live happily ever, you know, happily ever after and raise raise little Nazi babies. But yeah, you get you get some truncated storylines for these secondary characters. But in terms of his story, yeah, you're absolutely right. We saw the moment he joined the rebellion. We see it. Yep. It was it was on the ship with, yep. with Luthen. That's where he joins, right there. And Star Wars is notoriously bad when it tries to fill in every single gap. <laughs> yes, um, going forward, uh, I, I didn't really talk about the Mandalorian. I, I have I have really enjoyed the Mandalorian, a combination of how season two ended and then what happened, the follow-up with the Book of Boba Fett kind of has tainted that world, that that corner of the, the yeah. of Star Wars for me. I am looking forward to episode, to season three, but not as much as I want to. I do like that that is a different style. I, I think I've come to appreciate that there can be different flavors of Star Wars now. And I do want this this Andor flavor that is more sophisticated. That's a little bit more mature, more patient. Intelligent. And more, yeah, a little bit more thinking man, a little bit more cerebral. But I also like the 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 adventure of the movies and and Mandalorian. And I would be fine if we get more series, more episodic television on Disney Plus that are that have the feel, that have the maturity of stuff like Andor. If we could balance that with, you know, every three years or so, getting another movie that feels as fun and adventurous as the old school ones did, that would be my ask. If we well, and, that, and that's not unrealistic. That's that should be what we hope for. I mean, if nothing else, the whole point of having trying to, you know, look, you can take issue with the flaws of trying to ape what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing, what the whole Marvel project is doing. You know, maybe it's not replicable. Who knows? But like at the very least, if you have like a ton of money and you have Disney, you know, I am always stunned by people who are just like, well, this isn't what I want out of Star Wars. This isn't the Star Wars I envisioned. All I wanted once I found out about the Disney acquisition of Star Wars and their attempt to like marvelize it was create like a landscape big enough to have like a whole bunch of everything, including, you know, the right. Brian, the two things that you're talking about are two aspects of Star Wars that I enjoy. Um, you know, shows like Andor would be great and like sort of, you know, like large scale adventures as typified in like the Mandalorian on a smaller scale. And like, you know, the, the movies on a larger scale would be wonderful. I would hope that if you throw enough stuff at the at the wall and I hope they have enough funding to throw enough stuff at the wall. And obviously they do. You hit on that and you have huge canvas. And yeah, you're going to have some stuff that misses. But like you want to you know, have as broad a, a storytelling potential as, as possible. And so I, I think those two can coexist quite easily. It doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be one or the other. The mistake is when, you know, you have bean counters that are like, well, we got to do something with this Boba Fett and we have to, you know, hew to the Skywalker Jedi lore and not deviate too much from it. That's where it becomes problematic. That's where it becomes boring. That's where I want to jettison all of it. But it's like right. to have a universe where you can coexist stories with the sophistication and, you know, the, 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 the storytelling acumen and the characters as rich as an Andor, but have that kind of like Disney adventure type feel to, you know, the latter day Star Wars and have, you know, you, you should be able to do all of it. And they have the budget for it and they have the ability to get creative people to do that. So I don't think that that's impossible. I don't think it's unrealistic. And I, I support that kind of movement, too. Well, I also Take hope I, I also hope that with the the success of this show, the reception of this show, I hope that this 
kind of lights a fire under Disney to say, don't be afraid to, cha- tr- you know, tackle new territory now, like go, yeah. go in new directions. You don't yeah. have and, to always. And, and do it has been one know. of the, it has been one of the 10 most streaming shows, streamed shows every yeah. week, yeah. but I, it has not engendered the same levels of viewership as Obi-Wan or, uh, or Mandalorian, but I still think it clears the bar of what they were hoping more than enough to justify the cost. I, um, part of and again, part of that might be not having the name recognition, not having the, the right. iconic thing. I, it wouldn't be, I, I expect this to do really well come award season and that might yeah. give it yeah. a lot of second looks, people who might've passed on it so far. They like, now that the first season is over, I think word of mouth will spread. And I think that might get some more, some, point, some second looks. I think, yeah, I agree with that. I think when the lead up to the second season, I think, you know, I mean, a lot of, you know, like Breaking Bad was mentioned earlier. Breaking Bad wasn't like an out of the gate, like, you know, pop culture phenomenon. It right. took like three seasons right. before a lot of people caught on to that show. Myself Wait, included. the dad from Malcolm in the Middle is a drug dealer? What? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> his pants were off the entire first season. I, I, I predicted watching, that was good. I predicted yeah, that during. I, saying, I remember watching the show with all <laughs> All right. You know, you know, the level yeah. of disrespect shown to me on this episode has been outrageous. <laughs> right, right, right. That's well, all right. You know, we only got five more minutes. Yeah, well, Omar, in fairness, you started out by saying, I don't want to self, self, self-aggrandizing. And I'm like, well, you, you know, you, you can't really lead with your chin like that, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. It's true. But, you know, to, to Omar's point, though, yeah, I think there's a broad canvas to work with. And I think, I mean, yeah, there's been some starts and stops with how Disney has been approaching the Star Wars franchise. And there's been good and bad. And I, I think for the future of it, like for, you know, I think like, for instance, Taika Waititi is going to give us that grand space fantasy adventure that's going to scratch that itch for a lot of people. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of his wheelhouse in terms of that scope. It's what he's doing with the Thor movies, right? Right. And, right. and as much as I didn't like the new Thor movie, I am looking forward to what he would do in Star Wars. Absolutely. I think that would be a lot of fun. And partly because I we've agree. seen it. Like, we've seen it, what he did in The Mandalorian. So I trust exactly. him. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just like, you know, kind of let that guy go nuts. I like the idea of letting talented people take the reins of this franchise. I mean, cause they did, you know, it worked for them pretty well with the MCU and just kind of let them do what they want within, you know, uh, you know, I, I think they've kind of gone the route where like, we got to pay tribute to the nostalgia and the legacy characters and all that. And, you know, Kathleen Kennedy in the run up to Obi-Wan was interviewed in the big, I think Vanity Fair piece talking about how they're, you know, they're looking forward. They're going to start leaving that behind because number one, they have to. Yeah. And number two, yeah. It's like they've done it with, you know, with hit and miss success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for one, that's one of the reasons why the show I'm probably looking most forward to out of all the live action series is The Alkalite, the one set during the High Republic, because it's going to be a whole new show with yeah. you know, maybe yeah. maybe Yoda shows up in it. And that's about it. And I'm like, that's what I want. I mean, you know. Yeah, because, Chris, I mean, previously we had sung the praises of Dave Filoni, but even he is becoming too, the, the snake eating its own tail. His, his exactly. world is becoming so small with recycling the same characters and the same ideas. And it's just like, dude, we need to pl- go outward, throw a deep path, like tr- try something I new. Agree. And I'm, I'm getting kind of sick I of agree. this stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I agree. And, and then one of the things, I think Dave Filoni definitely has a great feel 
for Star Wars, but he is too beholden to Star Wars. Yeah. And it turns yeah. out that, that, you know, I think I mentioned this to you guys like jokingly, like in a text or something, but I'm like, I never thought I'd be in a place where I said that the writer director of Michael Clayton would be the savior, <laughs> would be the savior of Star Wars. <laughs> right, right. But the idea that Tony Gilmore is like, I'm not beholden to any of this shit. I'm just a talented guy who knows how to, you know, write and, and direct good movies. Right. And I'm just going to tell a story within this existing universe. Yeah. That's what we need more of. And Omar, you, you, when we were eating dinner together, you said that you were one of the things that amazed you was how restrained it was in not feeding on the or not giving those Easter eggs. Like the yeah. fact, like I like I, I I admit, like I am equal parts shocked and amazed, that, or shocked oh, and, that, and impressed yeah. that and it's a we, great get, we spent all of that we spent all of that time on Coruscant with Mon Mothma. Are any of you guys surprised we never saw Bail Organa? I'm yeah, right. I, I, yeah. I am not, and I'm thrilled about that. But because I also think that when you get those small moments, like it makes them all the more impactful. When you go for uh, you know episodes and episodes and hours and hours, you know, uh, in in storylines that are in characters that are away and sets that are away from what we're traditionally understood, you know, as Star Wars, classic Star Wars. Not only is it more enriching because it expands this galaxy that we have been told for so long was limitless and contain so many features, which makes it enriching on that count. But also in those moments when you see a single TIE fighter, you're like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. that's amazing, right? Right. It makes an impact. Yeah, and that's also one of the criticisms I had with Rogue One. And I feel like, you know, their hands were a little tied on that. Some of that was probably forced on, on, uh, on, on Gareth Edwards. But like, there's just way too many, like, especially the end. I mean, I almost feel like that movie should end when they're on the beach and, like, basically the nuclear explosion of the Death Star is, it washes over them. I say, yeah, but, that, but that. those were rewrites, right? Like, those were reshoots. Right. The stuff but that, like, you know, that was because the bean counters got to it first. I, it yeah, I, again, I just, I watched just like the last half last night, but like the scene when the rebel fleet is like taking off and everything, and there's just a cutaway to R2 and C3PO, and C3PO right. is like, Scarif, why are they going to Scarif? Nobody tells me anything. I'm like, shut the hell up. I was like, why is yeah. this thing here? Like, get like, right. cut the scene. Like, and Bail Organa shows up in that, but it's also just, you know, it's even a moment. Like, he has a musical cue when he comes out of the shadows. It's like, yeah. remember this guy? And it's like, <laughs> he doesn't need to be there. Yeah, and, then, and it would know, happen because there was some very sad marketing executive who saw right. the first cut and was like, you know what'll save this? Jimmy Smith. And he'll grab a phone and he was like, get me Smith. That'll save Jimmy, this. And Jimmy like, Smith. Come on. You know, then you have like, you know, Dr. Ebazon and, and uh, yeah. you know, Panda Baba on Jetta. And it's just like, come on. I mean, well, you know, we don't need, you just don't need that shit. And it takes away from like these, you know, and we're already not getting enough screen time and, and, and backstory for these compelling characters you introduced me to. You don't need to like waste more of it by showing me these people I don't give a shit about anymore. So, yeah, it, 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 you know, especially like I said, the end and it's just like, you know, Darth Vader going all John Wick. And it's just like, man, he really aged a lot in the next like month, didn't he? <laughs> and it's like, because he was in, a badass. In the next moment. half hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then suddenly he's fa- he's facing off with Obi Wan, and it's like a close one. And it's just like, oh, yeah. okay, you just killed nineteen <laughs> dudes in a hallway, and it's just like. And then of course the you know the uncanny valley Princess Leia, it's hope, and I'm like, I know, I know she gets it, I know that, I know what happens to those Death Star plans. You don't have to show it to me. <laughs> I think that uncanny valley CGI Princess Leia killed Carrie Fisher because I know that she yeah. died just like a week after the movie came out. Yeah, no kidding. She oh. saw that, and it yeah. was like. Too much. Hey, one, by of, the way, speak- one of the last uh, Twitter exchanges I had before I canceled my Twitter account was like somebody, just a rando like Star Wars fan, was like, I'll never forgive them for casting Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa and then killing him off screen. 
And I was like, well, you see how timelines work. Is <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Said by a person who exists outside of linear time, apparently. Yeah. Speaking of Rogue One, though, I don't know if I, maybe I'm late to the party on this one, but there's a really cool connection to Andor in that the guy that Cassian escapes the prison Melchie. with, Melshi. Melshi, yeah, it. yeah. It's yeah. the same actor. He he actually leads the squadron of commandos. Yep, he's on the beach on with him. Yep, yep. Holy when shit! That happened, I was like, that is so cool. That's yeah, awesome. I, I recognize yeah. I recognize the name when they when they saw him in prison. I was yeah. like, oh, he's gonna live. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, you know what? He, he didn't. I mean, he, you know, he might he might have survived World One because we don't see him die on screen. So maybe he got you know maybe he jumped into one of the uh, you know rebel transports and they got out through the shield gate. I don't know. Sorry, my kid just walked in. On program. On program. On <laughs> program. So, so let, let me let me pose this question to the group. Because we didn't see, speaking of not seeing people die on screen and beloved characters, do we see Kino Loy return? I hope not. I can't, but the yeah, part of I me that says that. it wouldn't make any sense for him to be alive, hopes not. But also, I love that character so much, I kind of secretly <laughs> hope he does. Well, well, we've seen Andy Serkis in Star Wars before, so he can come back as somebody else. Um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> But no, I uh, my my head cannon is he drowned. Um, I think he died there. But I, he, I don't, he, he, didn't, he didn't go in the water. I yeah, think I don't he think, he I think somebody knocked him off, or he jumped, or he was like, I don't know. I don't think I don't think he survived um, okay. one way or but, another. Yeah, like I said, in fairness, he did not die on screen, so there, that door is open. True. Um, I, yeah, I love the character, love the performance. Give him a nomination. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, I feel that way about Tim. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> fucking Tim, man! I know, seriously. Oh my god! How about Tim and Bix having like one of the first sex scenes in Star Wars or something? They're pretty close to it. The first sex scene, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then Cyril and Dedra are like, hold our beers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how season two opens. <laughs> um, actually, actually, that's funny, right? We should before before we wrap this up, we should go with uh, your your MVP. Uh, of minor characters, who would be your MVP of the minor characters in the show? Uh, how how are we defining the minor characters then? However you uh, want to, not not Andor, <laughs> yeah, not Andor. <laughs> any, 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 anyone who didn't impact the plot significantly, but you guys already know mine. It's 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 the Gong. It's the, the Bell Tower. Tower guy, and I'm trying That's to think of somebody guy. else who said That's my guy. Um, uh, the chick that Andor slept with on Space Cancun, who just like he just leaves in the oh, room and, and while robbed her. Like, well, yeah, while he's hiding his uh. His, his loot in the shower stall or something. That's that's not, that's that's a good choice, man. That's solid. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah. yeah, if I if I was being legit, I mean, I I probably think Luthen is my favorite character in the show, but he's he's not like a minor character. Right. He's like the second star. No, you can do yeah. that. You can you can go. I mean, obviously, yeah, I had kind of I had kind of a comical idea in in my head, like you know, of funny things we could say about these characters. But there were so many com- yeah. compelling minor characters. I was actually fascinated by Bix. I thought I thought she was Bix just was great. She was awesome, and her storyline and what she gave to the um, uh, to the re- to the resistance and all that stuff. I mean, like <laughs> she was looking pretty rough by the end of it. <laughs> I know, I yeah. know, and but it was like, man, but she didn't she didn't talk. You know, like, oh my God, that was, yeah. I, thought, I thought she was great. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, I would give an honorable mention to, and I forget the character's name, but he was part of the uh, the heist, the guy who wrote the journal. The, yeah. I was actually yeah. just thinking about the kid who wrote the manifesto. And I, yeah. I'm wondering yeah. if in Disney and Lucasfilm's infinite idea to merchandise everything, if we will actually get a published version of that manifesto someday. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, you know there's a current there's a recurring theme that we've talked about in this where like dead characters have their their voice carry on 
after mm-hmm. afterwards. And so, you know, not necessarily in a monologue, but his words in his journal kind of kept things going after. I was going to say, I think it'd be great if Disney ended up publishing an anti-government manifesto and sold it exclusively in Florida. I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> at the Magic Kingdom. I don't think we've mentioned him at all, but I really like him just because he's, he's so fun to watch is um, Dedra's uh, boss, the head of the ISB. Oh, that guy's good. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Very good. He's very good. He's, he's good. played by the, the guy who played um, the, the mad scientist guy in uh, Game of Thrones the last couple yes. of Meister Long. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was good, really cool. He's not, he, yeah, he's not. And, and that, this was one of like the few tiny little really subtle Easter eggs because he's not the director of ISB because there's one scene right after the heist when everything, when they're talking about all of the new laws that are coming down, his supervisor is director, um, oh, Yularen. Yeah, um, it's like General Yularen is the head of okay. ISB who is actually one of the canonical guys sitting in the round table on the Death Star in the first movie. Oh, um, that's if you look cool. around Grand Moff Tarkin's, uh, round table, there's yeah. one, Imperial officer wearing the white jacket and black pants of the ISB. That's General Yularen, the head of ISB. And he's in the one scene, I think, in episode six or seven of this season. Yeah, the rest of the time, it's, it's I can't remember the name of her, her boss, the, the I don't either. general guy. But yeah, he's great. Just so fun to watch. Yeah, fa- yeah fantastic. And just really, he, he, I mean, we're talking about like monologues and little moments. He's got, I mean, it's like you, you respect, you know, they're, they're really evil, but like we're kind he's of reason- seeing- He's reasonable evil. He's reasonably able, he's, but I mean, yeah. you got to respect the guy's damn good at his job. And yeah. you're like, watch yeah, him go, man, this, like, you know, you see a lot of, you know, what, what the original trilogy gave us is like bumbling stormtroopers and overly arrogant, you know, officers, you know, with the, with the ISB, we're kind of seeing like where the empire is actually good at doing its job. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. That's a yeah, good Yeah, I'll take, right? I'll take reasonable evil all the time. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Being of like uh, the, the minor obscure characters, Saw Guerrero's lieutenant, the tubes guy. When Saw's hey like freaking out, he's like, "Which one of my guys is your informant?" Right. He's right. Like, oh, it's tubes. <laughs> he's like, "What?" Is they like pulling guns. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you guys stand up, like motherfucker. What? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Any other final comments? Um, Let me just throw uh, one prediction out there for season two that I'm actually excited. I assume it's going to happen. <laughs> no, what, yeah. no. What I assume it's going to happen, I'm, I can almost guarantee it's going to be a plot point. Um, but uh, I kind of can't wait for it to happen and see how it comes about. Is when he uh, the the introduction of K two S O the droid yes, the, and and how that comes about, how they co opt him and and like reprogram him and make him you know all that thing because of the int- because of how we saw that same droid almost torturing you know well he did torture you know choke right. Cassie and and I on space cancun so like there's i think that's going to be really that's going to be a cool moment however they decide to do that oh yeah they get they, yeah hands down the best part of rogue one for me is k2so they definitely yeah. got to bring him in i was thinking the same thing i'm like they got to yeah. bring that dude in yep. he's too good yep just because, I mean, it's one of those things where we're smart enough. We we can fill in the gaps. We don't have to be spoon-fed everything. But just because of the dramatic potential for it, the thing I'm really excited to see about season two is Mon Mothma's flight from Coruscant. She's got to go into exile. Yeah, so she's right. got to be exposed yeah. somehow. Does she have to be rescued? Like, is Cassian part of a rescue op that gets her off the planet? Like, what ends up sending her to Yavin or to wherever she goes into right. hiding? And... Does her family get left behind? Do they know her situation? You know, all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I think I, I'm probably turn on more, her. Does her family turn her in? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, probably right. more excited to see where Mon Mothma goes in season two and, than any and, other character. 
And when does she get that bowl cut? When is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's obviously her disguise. <laughs> yeah, because apparently one thing we learned about this show is you put a wig on and no one knows who you are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 I agree with you guys. I think it'll be a very if if they go the route where she actually abandons her family, including her daughter, to this gangster so that she can go in exile and say like that's going to be a heart wrenching moment. Where I guess her family I, seems like they kind of suck. So like, yeah, but, suck, yeah, yeah. yeah, but the human aspect of her in her portrayal well, as an actress, I think, is yeah. just riveting and, yeah, and fascinating. I so I mean, there is going to be a, a maternal like I'm going to sacrifice my child for the greater well, for, it, the, for the she, universe. She, she, she him off to a step. space oligarch. Yeah, 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 she already did. She already did. Sure, sure took that way. first step right yeah. with with the with the yeah. with the guy with the money. But yeah. so here's another here's another question I would ask is uh, you know. It seems like they're they're pretty much leaving Gilroy alone to tell this story, and they're not. I mean, we talk about the the significant lack of Easter eggs now with some of these other shows bringing live action versions of characters from the animated series. Do you think we get any live action crossover with any characters from Rebels? With how or- restrained the show has been up to this point, I would hope they have the discipline not to do that. I mean, I agree. I. I mean, would I like to see a live action Harrison Dula and some of those characters? I was like, right. yeah, I, I would like to do that. But I'm just so nervous that like with the, with the track record of when they have kind of tried to like force those Easter eggs in shows like Obi-Wan and Mandalorian, I've kind of been like, that wasn't necessary. And, and yeah. so there's, there's always the part of me that would be like, oh yeah, that would be cool if we see the ghost crew in the next season. But I'm also like, no, you've done so well so far without exactly. without embracing those other characters, without falling into that trap. Don't do it. Don't just tell the story as thinly and as as tailored to what you need to do and not get distracted by the other stuff. That's my hope. Yeah. Because so, yeah. we, we had the there's the general Sindula Easter egg in Rogue One. That's what made me think of that. Yeah, I yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah. I think it'll be it, it'll kind of de- depend on if you consider you know, the, the 1980s Saturday morning cartoon droids parts of, of the <laughs> canon, you know, because I could see any one of those guys showing up. That, that theme song is still one of my favorite pieces of music in Star Wars. The theme song to droids. Oh, actually, this was something that I, I like, this had not been on my radar until just yesterday. I heard somebody, apparently there was a fan theory that Luthen is a Jedi or an ex-Jedi or something like that. I read Ooh. that as well. Hard, hard no. One of my favorite things about this show, again, getting away from yep. Yep. what we had before. Not, not even a mention of a Force. Just yep. nothing. Mm-hmm. No lightsabers, no Jedi. Fuck that noise. I don't need yep. somebody to be a secret Jedi. He's already compelling. It doesn't need to happen. Yeah, no. Yeah. I would be pissed if they did that. Yeah, I heard the same thing, though, Ryan. I heard it, and I'm, I'm, I agree wholeheartedly with Chris. I hope to God that's not true. Yeah, that's like, it. and again, there's a middle ground for some of this stuff. Is it okay to, like, reference Jedi or reference like, oh, we know these people passing through, they, you know, oh, sure. new Jedi's or something like that. Yes. But like to connect all the dots and, and, you know, have these like crossovers and like, tra- it, it does not feel organic. If it was going to, it would feel shoehorned in and whatever you can say about this series. And I imagine there might be detractors of Andor. Like they can't say that it's, do- it's not authentic and organic and like anything right. else would feel false. I look, I yeah. don't think, in yep. terms of the skeleton crew and everything, it's it's fine if there are references or like some tertiary character that popped up in an episode of Rebels. I think it would add to the richness of the storytelling to maybe like 
you know, have those figures pop up from time to time in these types of series. But like, don't go too hard. Chris is right. I guess I we wrap this up now. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. We should end with Omar saying Chris is right. That should be it right there. <laughs> and, then you, and then you play us out with a droid's theme song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, to one degree or another, we, we might have a, a few little uh, disagreements, but for the most part, we, we love this show. We bring on some more of this. Um, and we all pretty much predicted this was going to be much good it, yeah. re- a long, okay. long time ago. <laughs> uh, listeners, right. listeners, if you haven't uh, if you haven't watched this show yet, you need to do that. If you're fans of Star Wars, if you're fans, of, I mean, even if you're non-Star Wars fans, I think that's the, the real testament to this show. I can see a lot of people who don't care about Star Wars buying into this for some of the other, just like the, the social commentary aspect, the production Absolutely. value, the, yeah, the thematic sure. elements of it that Absolutely. Omar was describing like as a, as a tone poem that really feels contemporary and really yeah. feels like it is about what we are looking at in society today. Um, and again, that's just why it's like this is Star Wars as science fiction when historically it has always been more science fantasy. So, yeah, just really, really exciting. Um, Omar, Neil, Chris, thanks all three of you guys for coming back on the show. Uh, listeners uh, probably won't be 18 months before the next episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, but who knows? We'll see how things go. <laughs> uh, until next time, Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, or you can email me at ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I don't have a Twitter account anymore, and I can't really recommend liking or sharing anything on Facebook. So I'm just going to trust that you heard this episode and enjoyed it without any kind of social media feedback um yeah thanks for listening and hey guys let them hear you one way out one way one way out on program on program <laughs> chris was right <laughs> i've given up all chance at inner peace i made my mind a sunless space i share my dreams with ghosts I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago for which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or, or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! <laughs>